see, Jason was my son. And today is his birthday. Hey, Steve, happy Friday the 13th. That's right, Carlo. Oh, my God, dude. Oh, it is, man. Yeah, I feel like it's always special when a, there's a Friday the 13th that falls in October. Oh, yeah. Pretty cool. For sure. Yeah, and that also means for me personally that my fr- my birthday also lands on a Friday because <laughs> I oh, always good. align yeah, with That's the right. 13th. So. That's beautiful, yeah. dude. Yeah. It's Which right around means, the corner. Yeah, like a Friday obviously is usually the you know the new movie day you know and um i'm in for a treat like i it's almost like apple um tv movies or whatever their studio is called um and the uh, martin scorsese like prepared it just for me that they're mm. gonna premiere um killers of the flower moon on my birthday yeah that's got yeah. That, that's gonna be special that's gonna oh, be a yeah. good one yeah i mean I'm i'm trying to recall like other movies that came out on my birthday and the the only one that really comes to mind on the top of my head is um the prestige and that was mm-hmm. back in 2006 so i'm i'm sure my birthday has landed on a friday on other years uh but yeah <laughs> so where were you in 2006 oh i was here yeah i was already here at that time okay. like i think i yeah i was just like i i came here in 2005 Mm. So um, yeah, it was only yeah a year in, and um, yeah, it was pretty special that a year later, like the Prestige, and I watched it at the ArcLight Hollywood, you know, R.I.P. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, that was pretty special. I mean, you know, you remember the ArcLight, right? See, that was just like it every time. I mean, obviously because also we lived far away, you know, the drive, like it was an occasion, you know, and then. They were doing reserved seating when other theaters didn't, you know. The, that made it special. And then, you it know, was they had such a relief. Yeah. So so amazing. I don't remember necessarily what I was watching, unfortunately, at the, at that time that where I was going to the Arc Light a bunch, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it oh, it was always exciting though. Yeah, we we watched a movie together actually at um Sherman Oaks, the Arc Light there. Um in Sherman Oaks Galleria. So was it like one of the Harry Potters or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. What and then the thing was, like, I had only seen Prisoner of Azkaban. So you uh, guys, like, caught me up, like, in the dinner oh, before the movie. <laughs> like, yeah, guys, I remember like, there, there yeah. was a period where where me and my wife, we were we were deep in the movie. Oh, yeah. Just, like, get, just, like banging them out. She had read all the books. <laughs> and so, and I hadn't. Like, for some, like, I just wasn't a reader as a kid. So I just had missed it. But, yeah, but... But that was important. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you, you guys were very impassioned in like explaining to me like who this person was and like oh, yeah. where they stood in the story. And, <laughs> yeah, I I couldn't follow any of it, but I was just, I just went along with it. Like I was yeah. just like, okay, I I know that guy. And then you know, <laughs> oh, the the one we watched was um I think Half Blood Prince. Right, the one that kind of introduces all the Horcruxes or whatever. Yeah, mm, yeah, mm. yeah. So I, I was lost, um, but <laughs> I still enjoyed it. The it only... gets really complicated. Like yeah. the first four, you can. It's really fun. It's it's yeah. fun and and gunning, and it's not too bad. And then it gets it becomes the kind of Game of Thrones level. You mm-hmm. know, um, you have to know all the storylines and all that stuff. But right, yeah, yeah. So okay, so yeah, so that was your birthday, two thousand six. Mm-hmm. Yep, man. Pretty excited, Carlo. Yeah, man. And so, Steve, actually, relating to what our episode is going to be about, I mean, would you say mm. that Harry Potter movies are good, like, spooky season movies to watch? 
I think so. Yeah, I yeah. kind of think they kind of fill in that um, that over the garden wall. If you're, mm. if you're looking for cute for cute spook, yeah, um, for sure, it's kind of right in that wheelhouse. And mm. I know, like you know, obviously for most people, it's not very scary anymore. But to a young child and to even someone who's maybe 11, 12, 13, who hasn't really been exposed to a ton mm. of horror, I know, yeah. like I was expo- like I was shown, unfortunately, like. You know, Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe <laughs> when I was like six or seven, so I was like oh, really man. young. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the so Harry Potter wasn't scary to me at all. But mm. yeah, you know, it, yeah, it's definitely spooky, no doubt. Yeah. Okay. Here's an important question: When are you going to share Harry Potter with your kids? Very funny, Carlo, that you mentioned this. <laughs> my 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 eldest is twelve. She's on book four, and oh, she maybe wow. started reading them late summer mm. so basically she's like torn through three and a half books in Amazing. like in like two months and now so i think she's definitely ready for the movies my youngest though still has a ton of nightmares but so she so she's not reading the books but it's yeah, funny yeah. they but but just because of how into the the books my oldest is they both want to dress up as harry potter for halloween <laughs> this year yeah, so oh, like man. I'll share with you some of the picks later on, but uh yeah, it's so yeah, you're you're right on it. They are doing it right now. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yeah, that that reminds you of a great moment too in um in Boyhood. Mm. Um you've seen that one, right? With, mm-hmm. with by Richard yeah. Linklater. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. cuz you know, obviously every year um is an actual year they were filming. So they timed it to when there was like a book coming out a harry potter book coming out so they had like the book launch of the bookstore and mm-hmm. you know all the actors were dressed like harry potter characters it was fantastic yeah yeah that they caught that moment in time i forgot which book it was i mean it was definitely uh one of the later ones maybe mm-hmm. it was the last one mm. um yeah it probably was because of the span of time of boyhood um yeah it, it was probably the last book um, yeah. coming out so it was a big deal um really cool yeah but yeah awesome stuff so i guess yeah that that's really it like we're we're doing one of my favorite types of episodes steve the the random grab grab bag bag. yes i love this you love this yeah Yeah, the prep isn't as you know well i watch more movies for these episodes but you know in terms of like compiling notes like i'm I'm just like freewheeling with these you know i just have like very like broad strokes yeah we're not gonna go beat by beat we're hot taking it we're yeah. <laughs> cool taking it we're medium taking it for the sure. whole deal yeah yeah and um we we talked about it off record that i initially had like tears for for mm. the movies but i realized like no it's more fun if it's just like the lines are blurred and you kind of get a sense i'm i mean I'm, i am going worse from worst to best again but you know you, where you kind of draw the line of where it starts to get good you know um yeah, yeah, and and, and with a lot of these movies, it, sometimes it's like you'll have a, a favorite moment that just really sticks out that you truly love mm. in a piece that's like you know isn't that good overall. Right. <laughs> that's and true, so it's so it's like it's you know you get to wrestle with with that right. whole thing too, which is fun. yeah. And plus, since we're doing the the alternating thing, I'm I'm sure we're gonna have some overlap. So I'm also going to be like leaping around on my list. So yeah, yeah. I'm 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 proud to say in this last you know. Three to four weeks. I've actually ripped off a good number of movies for me, which nice. is you know you know so yeah. So I'll have a lot to, to chime in on here, which is nice. Cool. 
and you know um the funny thing about this is even though it's a another episode of like a- appetizer platters we have appetizers before the appetizer so our non-spooky films um that we're gonna do and yeah that's the amazing thing like i was trying to stick to that regimen of um spooky stuff but then you know these non-spooky stuff just popped up you know during yeah. <laughs> the span of time yeah so, you gotta uh, cleanse the palate it's key yeah it's true yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I te- definitely am in that spooky mode. Like, you know, when I'm looking for something to watch at night, like, yeah, I, I just want to knock out another spooky movie. So, you know. Nice. Um, yeah, it's exciting. All right. So shall we get into it, Steve? Our, our first yeah. are appetizers, our non-spooky it's appetizers. It's time for movie food appetizers, appetizers, appetizers. It's movie food non-spooky. appetizers. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, I you said you only have a couple, so um, yeah. I'm I'm just gonna start, so um, you know we cool. we can get through it. Um, all right, so uh, my first movie that I watched that isn't really spooky, even though it has some nightmarish moments in it, um, is a Sexy Beast, uh, by Jonathan Glazer. Um, have you seen this one, Steve? No, I don't. I don't know this one. Okay, okay, it's with Ray Winstone. It, it was Jonathan Glazer's directorial debut all the way back in 2001. So it was a long time ago. It was like Dang. highly praised. And th- it came out during the time that, you know, all these British gangster movies were coming out. You know, thanks right. to like Guy Ritchie with Lock, Sock and Two Smoking Barrels and then uh, Snatch the year before. So mm-hmm. it became in to like make all these like British gangster movies. And, um, you know, Jonathan Glazer's one has, like, um, it feels different from the other movies because there's this dreamlike quality to it. I mean, that's always kind of defined his work. And I I, I don't know what prompted me to just watch it again. Um, I hadn't seen it, like, since probably 2006 when I was just, like, devouring all these DVDs. Um uh, but yeah, I, I I guess because he has a new movie coming out in, on December eighth, so it's kind of like a refresher. And mm-hmm. um, his second movie, um, Birth, I'm also planning to rewatch. Um, but that's really more of a winter movie, so I'm waiting for it to get a lot colder. Um, but yeah, Sexy Beast, it it it's Ray Winstone. He's like basically a um, he's a retired gangster. He retired in Spain, so he, all he does is just like sunbathe and. He's living the life. He lives on this like hillside, and then, you know, his his life is basically like, uh, not necessarily turned upside down, but like, chaos starts entering into it. Like first with like a boulder, a random boulder, <laughs> falling off that the hill where, that he lives on, and then falling into his swimming pool and like narrowly missing him. Um, and then there's a gangster from his past, uh, played by Ben Kingsley, who's yeah like incredible performance by Ben Kingsley because before this he had never really played like a kind of brutal like vulgar character like this like you know the cursing in it is top notch and um nice yeah yeah and yeah really great performance by him I mean everybody like praises Ben Kingsley's performance because he's just like so tough um and you know Ray Winstone is is pretty tough himself but yeah it's just like him coming in and just like kind of wreaking havoc and you know uh i think ray winston's character's name is gal (laughs) g-a-l yeah and just wreaking havoc in his life and then he keeps having these nightmares of um this rabbit like humanoid rabbit that like 
has an Uzi. <laughs> and um, and it's funny because, you know, in 2001, there was another movie that came out that also featured a humanoid rabbit. And the, I mean, the designs of the, the two humanoids are different, but that other movie, which I'm also going to be rewatching, mm. um, but not not for this episode, but, you know, yeah. before Halloween is um, Donnie Darko. Yeah, so classic. so yeah, there's that connection there too. Um, yeah, so that that was just a it, it was a fun rewatch, but I wouldn't say like it's one of his better movies. You know, it's a promising debut. So Good. sweet. All right, so what do you got, Steve? All right, it's time to get into it. You uh, mentioned it on the last step, and, and I believe you even gave this movie an award of some type, which <laughs> okay, I want to hear I about. <laughs> okay, I I got around to seeing Bottoms. Oh, nice. Bottoms, bottoms, bottoms. Of course, you know, we got, of course, uh, Rachel Sennett and the whole wacky crew, Emma Seligman. Um, so, yeah, you, you gave this an award. What, uh, what did you call it last time? The Ken Jong Award. <laughs> the Ken Jong Award. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, do you want to get into into your yeah. takes on, on bottom? Yeah, and- I mean, we'll, we'll probably revisit this um, at the end of the year episode. Uh, but, yeah, my, my Ken Jong Award is basically... Uh, the Try Hard at Comedy Award. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it shares the award with Joyride, uh, which is also kind of like a female-led uh, comedy. And, you mm. know, this is nothing against, like, women not being funny. Sure. Um, I really just feel like Emma Sel- Seligman, is that how you pronounce her last yeah. name? I yeah, she, so. she feels like she, um, she's just not natural to comedy like it it really feels like a lot of the jokes are are forced to me Mm -hmm. you know um and that's why you know some of the funniest bits are actually with um marshawn lynch uh improvising because it's like he's going off script he's not like limited to to you know the dialogue that is like oh that was supposed to be funny i just kept on getting this feeling every time of like I, i i have certain friends who are like this who consider themselves to be comedians and mm. <laughs> they probably don't want to talk to me anymore if they uh, they ever listen to my podcast but yeah it's sorry. just like uh i i know it's a joke but it's just like it i don't find it funny it's it doesn't elicit that like mm. um natural laugh out of me you know so yeah no i totally know what you're talking about in people um and i could see what you're saying um in terms of bottoms for me, my experience was, and it's maybe a little different than yours, was I found maybe some of the moments and some of the writing not as funny. Yeah. But I thought the the actual performances are pretty mm. funny, especially from, I think Rachel Sinnott has a natural comedic style. Sure. And then a couple of the other actresses, that uh, Ruby Cruz, who played Hazel, but, oh yeah, and, she was great. <laughs> and really, to me, the standout was Summer Joy Campbell, who played Sylvie. Who's Sylvie? She, again? she she's kind of like the crazy one. Oh, is she the one that I, I'm gonna stalk my stalker or something? Yeah, yeah well, she has she, she has like like the backwards hat, and she was yeah, really yeah. good at like screaming and yelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she to me was the MVP. She really warmed my heart with her anger and the mm-hmm. yelling, and um, just her presence in. And so, yeah, like overall for me, I, I really enjoyed bottom still, you know, even though like maybe only three out of every five joke or right. humorous thing kind of hit for me. Yeah. But to me, I just appreciated that they were trying like, like there's not a lot of these kinds of movies that get made that have a 
good hit rate. Like I remember I, sure. I tried to watch um the uh what what's the new um Jennifer Lawrence Um yeah, No Hard Feelings. That's another no. one that I just like I yeah, like, didn't find funny at all. <laughs> Yeah, like the premise to me wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. I don't find Jennifer Lawrence to be terrible, like, t- like have a crazy good comedic thing. I right. thought the 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 male leads performance. I thought he had a natural yeah. charm with the, with, but um, but but again, it's like you really, if you're doing a comedy, you're really relying on okay, is the writing good and is are people just naturally funny. Right. And I think this movie had enough of that for it to work for me, but I also get that it's a heightened premise. You know, they're mm-hmm. kind of taking the raunchy high school comedy, making it from the female POV, which is an interesting take. But then also, like, um, at times it felt, like, not grounded enough. Mm-hmm. At You know, at times, like, right. you know, obviously where the movie goes and ends it's uh it's pretty insane and it's 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 yeah. pretty fun you know with the football uh, <laughs> i was making that connection to the massacre <laughs> yeah um, um yeah you know again with that football scene i wish i could hear more clearly all the crazy things that the that, that the mm-hmm. that the guy on the pa speaker was shouting i'm sure that there was a lot of like funny lines but i can only catch right. like you know a certain amount of them but um you know, it's fast paced. It had its moments. Like I definitely really liked uh, the establishment of the Fight Club. Like that seemed like mm. a highlight. Yeah. And uh, and you're right, Mar. It, you know, Marshawn has has a charm, and it's like <laughs> anytime he's on screen, I I'm kind of excited. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. He was uh, he was pretty good in Westworld too, and that was a pretty forgettable season of Westworld mm. season three. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, he, he's definitely a good uh, presence. Um, but yeah, it's just there's so many things about it. I guess also the my other issue with the movie is that um it reminds me too much of Twitter. Like it feels like Twitter the movie. Like yeah. it was just like there's like scenes that are designed to be like memed or memeable tweeted yeah. yeah, tweeted about and like it's just um you know nothing against Rachel Senna like um directly, but she kind of represents now this archetype which um you know, it's even ironic because she's not on Twitter anymore because of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if people have been following the drama, <laughs> movie food news. Now, we've never covered it, but like that was definitely something that led to her, like, removing her herself from X or Twitter. And, oh. um, yeah. I missed uh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, people were just like, oh, she's gone, you know. But, like, the thing is, her archetype still exists. And, um uh i've actually been muting a lot of the this archetype on twitter because you know they they definitely get the most likes and the most like um uh like uh exposure it's like you know they they definitely get the engagement and stuff and is it is it kind of like was she kind of doing like an e-girl thing or like what was a little bit but it's for movies you know it's like oh oh, look at me with my takes and movies not rachel senate herself but like that's kind of what she she represents she was like that mold oh basically like oh look at me like with my funny takes on movies and i'm also pretty hot and then you know they would post like a photo of of a thirst trap so yeah i've been muting a lot of these accounts because it's just like it's just it gets tiresome after a while (laughs) it's like well yeah and 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 i feel like that's a really good point with even with this movie 
it kind of rides that line and kind of crosses the line at times of mm. it's of like trying to be from the female point of view and kind of t- maybe take the power back or you know um, yeah. you know like take the power back from the jocks but then still clearly leaning into like these are young attractive actors like you right. know lit littered throughout it and so it's oh, like yeah. I, kind of having its cake and eating it too, I suppose. Right. I yeah. I. I. I would like. Uh. You know, a big surprise for me was I had no idea that Kaya Gerber is. Uh. You know, Cindy Crawford's daughter. No wonder. Like mm. they. They look so alike, and she's also like a tall model. Sure. Um. Uh. But yeah, that they definitely lean into that in the movie. Um. And yeah, it's just like with the gags and stuff. Like it just. There's something about it. I think one that was very telling was like one of those kind of background gags that happens that's never like brought up or anything like that. And, you know, one of the best at doing it was Zaz, you know, um, David Zucker, um, uh, Jim Abrams and uh, the other Zucker. Is it, uh, who, who's the other Zucker? I can't remember. But yeah, the, the airplane and naked gun guys. Like mm-hmm. they were so good at like these background gags that were happening. And there's one in the classroom. I don't know if you spotted it, Steve, where one of the football players is in a cage. <laughs> and it's, like, never addressed. Like, the, he's just <laughs> in the background. But it's just the way that it's shot. It's, like, the the joke doesn't land. You know, mm. like, I, I think that one of the key things is because uh, it's, it's, like, in soft focus. So, right. like, um, so, yeah, it's very shallow focus. So, we only see, like, the foreground and it's in the background. Whereas, you know, when when Zaz would do gags like that, like, you know, it would be like, you know, deep focus. Like you would you would see clearly mm. like what's in the foreground and in the background. So that that made the jokes a lot clearer. But yeah, you know, I don't know if Emma Seligman has like discussed her her influences for the movie. But yeah, I mean, that was also another problem of mine was just it just didn't look good. Like it just looked like a Netflix movie to mm. me. Like sure. and which will come up again later on, um, maybe soon. Actually, <laughs> once we get into our spooky stuff, I I have issues with like Netflix color grading, um, but yeah, uh, it's just yeah. Overall, for me, I I just didn't get it. But you know, everybody in the theater was having a good time when yeah. I watched it. So maybe it's just me. It's kind of like with Barbie. Like everybody was enjoying Barbie. I was just like <laughs> yeah. the one outlier. So. I definitely enjoyed this more than Barbie. Okay. You know, like it, it, it had enough fun for me. Like I really liked the, the car bomb scene. It kind of reminded me oh, yeah. of like when they were all in the van. It kind of reminded me of Secret Admirer. Yeah. And like just having a crew just doing like vandalism. Right. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, ultimately, I think you're right. Um, even before I saw the movie, it was all over Twitter. There, I, you know, like I remember seeing so many like Hazel cut up videos like mm. on on x and like right. hazel praise and all kinds of you know so it's like found an audience i don't know how well it's doing at the box office but um yeah it's strange it, yeah. it feels like it's an a24 movie but it's not it's it's by mgm which is now owned by amazon so <laughs> oh. yeah it's a very mainstream comedy um yeah so yeah it, it's strange because you know I, I was thinking if it was A24, like, you know, that's one of A24's, like, major strengths is their their social media game. Like, they would have been promoting it even more because, yeah, it's now kind of fizzled out. Like, you, nobody talks about it anymore, you know? It's like, it's not something like, like an A24 movie, like, stays 
in people's consciousness. You know, it, like people are still memeing it like years after, like Midsummer mm-hmm. and you know stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Well, that's bottoms for you. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, all right. So what I have next is actually just uh, I-, I paired them together because they're just both like shortcuts. Okay. One is actually a trailer that I really enjoyed, uh, <laughs> which is for a movie coming out next February. So it's still oh. a while away. Okay. Um, it's uh, the trailer for Argyle, uh, and that's Argyle with two L's. Okay. Um, Got it. Yeah. 2024. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's um, it's the new movie by Matthew Vaughn. Um, yeah, and it's like a spy thriller, and it's almost like basically what the Lost City was trying to be a couple years ago, or was that last year that the Lost City came out? So it's about like a novelist who's writing like you know spy books or you know adventure romance books, and then it kind of comes to life in front of her. But this mm-hmm. time around, I I think the cast is better here. Like, um, Bryce Dallas Howard plays the writer and. Uh, this the um the spy named Argyle is played by um uh um Henry Cavill Superman mm-hmm. and um Samuel L. Jackson's in it um uh, Sam Rockwell he's great in the little trailer and then there's this cat that like goes with Bryce Dallas Howard who who's in like this kind of plastic uh backpack uh like a hard shell backpack with like a little kind of astronaut like space window <laughs> to look for the cat to look through and the cat is adorable even though in, in one shot like it seems like the cat is completely cgi i mean I, they would have to do it just to get that sure. shot but yeah it looks like a fun oh john Cena's also in it and then uh yeah. dua lipa so you know it's it's a fascinating okay. cast and then there's like a little tease towards the end but also another thing that i really think is great about the trailer is there's a there's a remix of Elvis's um, Suspicious Minds, and it's used so well in oh, the trailer. Cool. So it's like sometimes the trailer will be forced on me on YouTube, like as you know the the thing mm-hmm. that plays. I just watch the whole thing. You know, I don't That's skip awesome. it because <laughs> it's just such an enjoyable trailer. I really hope the movie lives up to it. So yeah, tune in in February, and you'll yeah. hear. <laughs> I like that around. Yeah, it's coming actually early in February, like I think the first week of Feb. So, oh, perfect. yeah, that's one of the first movies I think I'm really looking forward to next now, year. Is 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 February usually like a dumping ground? Or, oh yeah. Or, or or do you get good movies sometimes? Um, yeah. It. I mean, you know, obviously there's uh there's uh, Valentine's Day, so that becomes mm-hmm. you know a big deal. But uh, yeah, not a lot of movies, good movies, come out in February. March is really when things start to pick up. I mean, you know, this year we had John Wick uh, Chapter 4. So that was an early highlight of the year to, like, start it in March. Uh, So I'm glad it came out uh, then. But, yeah, February is usually still kind of no man's land. uh, Yeah. Yeah, when it comes to This thing's got a good cast. It's got Rob Delaney in it so uh who's rob delaney um he's he's a comedian who i first was like one of the one of the first really popular twitter comedians like maybe oh, you know, in gotcha. like the early 2010s okay he and then he was in a, an amazon i think an amazon show called the uh, catastrophe it was like oh a, 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 a yeah British yeah i know this guy with sharon horgan yeah 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 i know his face yeah yeah <laughs> he, yeah he's been in a few movies uh, he was in yeah, deadpool too and he's actually in the new mission impossible Dang, way to go, Delaney. Um, yeah, he's doing pretty well. 
So from Twitter to movies, that's how you do it. <laughs> Good for him. All right, and then the other short that I'm pairing with it um, is actually um, the, the Wonderful World of Henry Sugar, or yes. is it the Wonderful? Yeah, it is the Wonderful World of Henry Sugar. Yeah. Did you see this too? No, it's a. It, I I have all these roll dolls queued up. I just haven't banged them out yet. Oh, definitely. I mean, it. The thing is, they're all connected, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to start with with Henry Sugar because it cool. it's, it it basically sets up the rest of the the other shorts. Like if you watch the other shorts like out of context, like it's just you're wondering like, what's Ray Fiennes doing here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, um. But you know, in the first one, it's basically established that Ray Fiennes is roll doll. And he's telling the mm-hmm. story, um, yeah. And I, I think it's it's so much better than than Asteroid City, you yeah. know, which is like twice the length of, of Henry Sugar. It's just a, a brisk forty minutes, uh, you know, and it's literally brisk. Like the actors are speaking like really quickly, and that happens in all the shorts. Like they yeah. speak in the skaters, and it, it kind of wore on me after a while with the other shorts, uh, mm-hmm. but with. With Henry Sugar, it's perfect because it's just so packed full of events, um, and just this throwback to like um, when when Wes Anderson was doing these kind of short films with uh, like for MTV. I don't know if you remember that when he would do like remakes of like Gladiator and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like that's what it feels like. It, it's like um, I think the presentation on MTV was like Max Fisher players uh, presents. So it's like Max Fisher from. Uh, uh, from Rushmore doing these these play versions of movies, you know, uh, and they were so much fun. And I, I think, yeah, this short kind of goes back to that. Um, yeah, and it's really well done. He really captures the spirit of Roald Dahl. Um, and yeah, Ray Fiennes is great as Roald Dahl, you know, and uh, yeah, the Wes Anderson style really lends itself to, to Roald mm-hmm. Dahl, even though I, I wasn't a fan of um, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Like, I thought it was a beautiful looking movie, but I just, I, I like the story of Fantastic Mr. Fox mm-hmm. so much that it's like all the changes that Wes Anderson did, I wasn't a fan of. So, sure. yeah. But yeah, wonderful world of Henry Sugar. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. It's only 37 minutes. So that, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's nice. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, what else have you got, Steve? All right. I got a quick uh, correction and retraction. Corrections and retractions. All right. Last up. We were talking about something. We got um, sidetracked and thinking to hardcore music or short or like short music, and we were talking. I think we got we started talking about No Effects, and um, I think I mentioned that No Effects had a record, and I and I, I said it was like short songs for short people. <laughs> uh, well, that was wrong. Okay. Um, so I found what the actual thing was that I was thinking of. It it wasn't a No Effects album. It was a Something put out by Fat Records. Right. It was a, a, a like a compilation. It was so it was like 101 bands playing 30 second songs. <laughs> That's crazy. And it's called short yeah. short music for short people. Mm. So not short yeah. songs. Short music for short people. So just wanted to yeah. clear that that up. Yeah, it came yeah. out 99. It looks like right. Yeah. It has a great cover too, like kind of retro 50s uh, space. Cover. Yeah, it, it looks really cool. And if you look at all the bands on there, it's got Blink 182's got, uh, Family Reunions on here. It's yeah. got it's got Bad some big Religion, ba- No uh-huh. Use for a Name. It's got a Green AFI. Day song. 
Man, yeah. Guar. Offspring? Garden Grove's own offspring? (laughs) That's right, gutter mouth. Rancid? Oh, man, yeah, this is like a hall of fame of, like, um, punk um, bands. Any band you can think of in the 90s, they're on this thing, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, Buck Wild. (laughs) This is crazy. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. Ataris, too. Oh, wow. Okay, good stuff. Seven seconds. Might have to get this. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. It, cool. It's a good comp. And it's funny because it, it, the the way Fat Records is spelled is also the, the way I spelled my um mm-hmm. my former Instagram that uh, I will somehow resurrect. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's going it to turn out in a different form. So those were fans of, of my vinyl posts, like, watch this space. Yeah. Watch um, out. Stay tuned. Yeah. For sure. Um, all right. So I, I have one last um, thing, and it's okay. a non-spooky thing, and it's a, it's a Carlos Cannon. Carlos Cannon. All right. That's all right. Down. So, um, yeah, this wasn't intended. Uh, like, it, it was a, a pleasant surprise because also this movie is actually celebrating its, its 40th anniversary next year. So I was curious about the timing. Um, but yeah, it's uh, "Stop Making Sense," the Talking Heads uh, concert movie by oh, Jonathan yeah. Demi. You love this one, oh. yeah? Awesome. Oh man, yeah. I mean, yeah. It inspired a long review in the uh, <laughs> on Letterbox. Um, it's incredible, Steve. And I'm glad that mm. I waited to watch it in the theater because I, I I think I had it queued up to watch at home, and then I was like, okay, when I heard that they were doing a remaster of it and then it mm. was going to be released in IMAX I was like okay I, I, I gotta just wait and then when it came out like it was just I, I you know I'm kind of a skeptic because I before seeing this movie I just thought concert movies were just you know they just filmed the performance Yeah, you know it's usually shot from like a couple of angles like you have the wide shot of the stage and then sometimes like the camera will come in and like do a close up of the singer you know the, yeah. those kinds of things, and they just like you know. I mean, I I grew up on like VHS tapes of like Rage and and Incubus, you know, and their concert stuff, and it's just like yeah, that's what they are. They're just typical. Like yeah. there's no artistry in doing it, but this one, you know, it always had this reputation of being like the greatest concert movie ever, you know. And I was just wondering, I was just, I just came in really skeptical. I was like, how is that even possible? It's just like, how can this be like the greatest concert movie ever made? And then, you know, like as soon as the movie starts, I'm just like, oh, okay. Now I know why mm. why it has this reputation. It's just like the way it opens uh, with um, uh, like David Byrne walks out on stage. Well, actually, you don't even know he's on stage. Like it looks like he's coming through like warehouse doors and there's like there's a big backlight and he comes out with um a boom box and then an acoustic guitar and then he's like i'm gonna play a little song for you i made this tape and then he he plays the boom box and it's like basically the beat of um his background beat and then he starts strumming his guitar and he plays psycho killer Mm. and it's an incredible rendition of the song even though it i don't think necessarily it's the best one but a lot of people say like a lot of the the songs here are the best versions of the songs being performed, um, but yeah, there's another live version that I saw somebody post on Twitter that I was like, okay, yeah, that's even better, of of Psycho Killer. But then yeah, you, 
it just from that you already feel like it 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 feels different from other concert movies that you know obviously um david burns like weird uh mm-hmm. a stage presence oh, yeah. i mean he's just a weird guy you know and like just that and then um the way like demi shoots stuff it just felt different like it's not just like oh we're shooting a close-up for the sake of shooting a close-up. Like, there's a purpose to it. And there's an intent. And it feels creative. And then, as the the concert movie progresses, like, you, you see, like, the rest of the band come out. And they're doing, like, these weird dances. Like, one of the most memorable ones is when they're all running in place. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just incredible. And then, there's a part where, where David Byrne, like, even starts doing laps around the stage. And then there, there's all these things with, like, the backgrounds changing. Like, it's just such a creative, like, endeavor, what they did to... Awesome, It's almost dude. like... Yeah, I feel like the way that Demi shot it influenced a lot of comedy specials. You know how, like, mm-hmm. you know, when they're filming a comedy special, it's made for, um, uh, you know, for tape. So it's like if they mess up, like, they can retake it. Or, you know, sometimes certain takes are done without the audience. Um, present so they can fix stuff up and I feel like that's kind of what Demi does like sometimes it feels like oh was this still shot during that concert and it's not all one shot whereas you know other concert like videos that I've seen or concert um, movies it just feels like oh they just the performance was there and they happened to be there and they're filming it this one it, it felt like is deliberately set up for the camera and yeah it's great like at the end like the um uh, David Byrne like credits the entire crew because there's a lot of stagehands who are also moving stuff around on stage, um, and then yeah, the performances. If it was just the performances on their own without all that creative stuff I was mentioning, like they're still like incredible performances. And you know, I I I, I guess I was I'm a casual fan of mm-hmm. of Talking Heads, but after seeing this, I'm like, yeah, I I want to dig deep. I want to own like every Talking Heads record. It's ever released. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know if you're aware of Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott. They do, um, a, you know, a comedy podcasts. And mm. their, their most famous one that they did together was You Talking You 2 to Me, um, <laughs> which was, like, where they, like, broke down every U2 record. But I think they did a whole <laughs> series on Talking Heads called Is, oh, is Your Talk... Is your t- is it's something like is your talking head talking to my talking head? <laughs> um, oh, I gotta listen to that. So like oh, th- that might be a good com- companion pod once you start doing the deep dive. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I I already have like a couple of Talking Heads records too. Oh, um, but uh, yeah, I'm missing the first one that they did, and then uh, I I they say like the other um live album that they did um th- the name of this band is Talking Heads is even better. Then, uh, then stop making sense. But yeah, also like with stop making sense, that's how great of a concert movie it is. Like, I think the music is just tied to the images. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's just like you can't. I, for me, it would be hard to listen to those specific performances of those songs without seeing the images that are attached to it. And you know, like I mentioned, certain moments in in my review of just like this is an example of how creative Jonathan Demi is. Like. When uh, Tina Weymouth is like, they do like a Tom Tom Club like um, interlude, and she's singing about like being with her boyfriend, and then uh, you know he cuts to um, Chris France, the drummer, uh, because you know 
they en- ended up being married and mm-hmm. had kids together. So it was like, you know, just those kind of moments that Jonathan Demi does. And, you know, he was just one of our great humanists. Like, um, I definitely want to do more on Jonathan Demi. And I feel like, um, yeah, we this mm. Stop Making Sense deserves its own episode. Cool. Like, we should, yeah. um, when we do our 1984 um, episodes, it, it deserves. And I, I have a guest in mind that we, oh, we should have who's, like, kind of, I guess a foremost uh, scholar on on Demi, so uh, excellent. Yeah, I would love to get his insight on it. Cool, so. I would love to. That sounds that sounds perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah. One last word on it too. I would say is that you know this is how great it is. That I feel like it's something that we should show to aliens as proof of like our human advancement. You know. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, it's it's on like the humans canon. Yeah, like oh, yeah, yeah. I, I gotcha. Yeah, it's like yeah, it, it's Hall of Fame. Like it's really like, it's, it just, <laughs> you get, if you're putting something in like a black box, like capsule, like this is it. This movie has to be in there. Totally. You know? Well, I mean, all signs point to 2024 when the aliens are gonna like announce their presence. I mean, God, it's we were kind of joking about it a little bit, you know, when we did the signs and faculty episode, just about all, you know, all the alien invasion stuff. But I feel like it's only picked up like, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. it's just been in the news. We had a, a, a deluge of alien invasion, alien visitor type movies uh, mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks. And, and then I think there's, I think, yeah, I think they're going to come up. Yeah. Yeah. And there's going to be even going to be a Pixar aliens movie. Um, oh right yeah <laughs> so yeah i think um yeah, yeah all signs pointed. yeah pretty soon cool <laughs> all right so i guess that wraps up our non-spooky appetizers so now we're doing our main course of spooky appetizers it's time for the main course there we oh, yeah. go oh i'm ready nice. i'm i'm excited right. for these um we got through quite a few main course appetizers here carlo yes um, we do so why don't you i, I know you have uh, the larger list so probably why don't you start us off get us going and um <laughs> but yeah. yeah i mean yeah is you know do you have any general thoughts on this you know if you're looking at the movies as like a like a buffet style like is there any general yeah. things general themes sure, that jump yeah, out yeah yeah, I mean, I, I should I should talk about like my my approach, my mm. method um, it. for it of how like I pick the movies. Um, so number one was really um, I did the Steve Powers approach, Ooh. which is basically picking movies that um, that would be like nominated for MTV Movie Awards or Spike Awards. Yeah, Spike Guys uh, so, Choice Awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that that's that was like my main criteria for picking the movies. Cool. And you know the offshoot of that is, uh, even though they are spooky or horror movies, I you know I just wanted to enjoy the movies. You know, it's just like it, even if they don't scare me, I just want it to be a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. uh, that's the approach that I took um, Love to it. my uh, yeah, and to my slate. And then you know, mood also played a part. And yeah, I guess I should start with that. So. Um, uh, well, before I do though, what what's your overview, Steve? Like, what was your like umbrella approach? God, it was a lot of aliens at at the at the front. Like that was my initial excitement. I, I okay. remember, uh, you know, we had played the Monsters of California trailer on the last step, and so right. I knew when that was coming out, and I kind of had everything 
set up for when I was going to rent that one and then just kind of was filling it in with, mm-hmm. um, you know, classics, things that I knew I should have watched a while ago, revisits. Um, and I was even influenced by a certain Twitter user who was very negative on a movie that kind of intrigued me. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, right. yeah. But, but, but definitely led on. Yeah. Like what do I want to watch? And, mm. um, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, what am I excited for? I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I should say also for me, like, yeah, I, I tried to stick with like first time, watches but it it took a while like i didn't i didn't do that initially there were sure. definitely going to be rewatches but then i realized oh yeah i should opt for the one i haven't seen before rather mm-hmm. than like oh yeah let me just watch texas chainsaw massacre again yeah. you know it's like um but there was one movie coming up uh that you know when we get there i know we will but like yeah. i had i thought i had seen it and then, you know, as the movie progressed, I was like, wait a minute. I have not seen this movie. <laughs> like, mm. this is, yeah, there's way too many details that, like, have I forgotten it? Or, like, yeah, no. But but I feel like, yeah, it was my first time seeing it. So it was a movie that I thought I'd seen before. Exciting. And then it turns out I hadn't. Um, oh, that's a good feeling. All right. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start with uh, a bit of a stumble. Uh, so <laughs> this one was really more motivated by... Uh, it expiring on Amazon Prime, and oh. <laughs> it was so funny because uh, I guess I, I I got home at around eleven, and it, I saw you know I I did like my my basically my winding down routine. Oh yeah, for the evening, and then um I I just felt like man I I should really give um Rob Zombie a chance you know yeah like I he, yeah because like I. I, I am a fan of his music, especially his solo stuff. I actually like his solo stuff more than than the White Zombie mm-hmm. stuff. Sure. You know, um, I have I have held Billy Deluxe on vinyl. It's it's you know it gets a lot of play, especially Dragula and um, um, Super Beast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and actually I should play it now. You know, this is the time. Like you know, I play my Over the Garden Wall yeah. record. Thanks, Jacob. And uh, yeah, Hellbilly Deluxe is also a perfect like spooky season yeah. uh, vinyl. So um, so yeah, the the choice really came down to like it was expiring on Amazon Prime. It was called Thirty One, and this is one of the things I discovered. So if you start the movie, um, that, that that was what I was curious about. When it hits midnight, is the movie just gonna stop playing? Right. And no, Amazon actually lets you watch it all the way through. Oh, thank you, um, Amazon. Yeah, but the problem is if you like pause it and then exit, so like you go oh. back to the main menu, it's gone. Like, um, so you can only pause it like you know where it's still like a freeze frame, but you can't exit out of it because once you exit, it's gone. Uh, so I found that out through <laughs> watching this movie with eight minutes left. It said expiring in eight minutes. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll watch the opening, and I'll tell you, Steve, I didn't finish it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't. I, even though, like, yeah, it was like, okay, this is my only time to watch it. Uh, it just, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. Like, Rob Zombie now is like a, he's a veteran. He's directed so many movies. And, you know, as much I'm aligned as, like, the Halloween, the two Halloweens yeah. were that he did. And, um, I mean, you know, it's kind of fashionable to hate on his movies, you know. It's like, but, uh, yeah, th- this one, it just... I couldn't get anything redeeming from it. I mean, of his early stuff that I enjoyed, I I, I will say I did enjoy um, 
Uh, I didn't like House of a Thousand Corpses, but I did like the the follow up to it. What was that called? Um, Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I thought that was enjoyable. I don't know if it will hold up now, um, but yeah, I, I, I'll still give him another chance. I'll watch uh, Lords of Salem. That's the other one that's mm-hmm. like kind of a big deal. But I, I don't, I don't have really any interest in watching his Halloween movies. And no. uh, yeah, yeah, thirty one. It's just uh, man, it was a slog, and it just. Uh, I just really didn't like that it opened with like this, this kind of crazy guy giving a monologue before like he kills somebody. Yeah, and yeah, it was just like so trying, and um, yeah, I had there's definitely some movies on my list that I gave up on because of, of like stuff like that where I'm like, life is too short. I need to just. I'd rather just go to sleep right now. <laughs> There's definitely, yeah, yeah, like I feel like that's a important threshold for horror is when things mm. get too talky. Yeah, um, it's 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 um it, it enters this other th- narcissistic kind of thing that um makes it not scary and just makes it kind of gr- like in in Rob the, in the Rob Zombie case, you know, it, it can kind of just make it gross. Like instead of mm. being in a place of tension and where you're feeling worried that you're surrounded by all these psychos, you're just kind of bored by the psychos. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because yeah, I think the scariest yeah. thing is when you don't understand the threat, you know, that those are the best horror movies or to me at least is when like nothing is explained. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we'll go back to uh, everybody's favorite horror movie, the thing, you know, we, we don't understand what the thing is. Like they're, they're coming up with like their own mm-hmm. theories of what it is, but yeah. we, we never really know other than, you know, certain clues, like, you know, with the opening uh, UFO flying past the title and that ice pit that they discover, you know, when mm-hmm. they go back to the base um, but other than that, yeah, it's it's more about like the unknown. Exactly, that's what makes it scary. So yeah, when we get like too much exposition, I mean, for any movie, not just horror movies, I yeah. just like I check out, you know, yeah. when like people are explaining too much. Um, the only guy that I like give a pass on because you know it it can be like entertaining to listen to people like, uh, you know, just giving so much exposition is is Christopher Nolan. that i would give a pass on that because it's like okay at least he's doing it in like a uh operatic like bombastic way sure so it's like yeah i even though like yeah that's really what the big flaw of um uh dark knight rises for me is is all the the monologuing of the characters in in that um yeah but yeah so 31 31 yeah 31 definitely looks like a pass it just doesn't. Yeah. It just doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah, nobody ever talks about it either. I mean, you know, at least the Halloween movies people talk about, and Lords yeah. of Salem too. So, yeah, I think I'll, I'll give. I'll definitely give Lords of Salem a, a shot. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So, what do you got, Steve? All right. I want to talk about uh, the first one that I saw in this series. Let's talk about No One Will Save You. Oh yeah, I got this on my list too. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, let's go. So. Um, I, I don't know where this one ranks for you. I really enjoyed this one. Um, it's short and sweet, and it kind of gets right to it, which I love. Like within ten minutes, you know, you're in the first alien invasion sequence. The agent, aliens in her house, and it's kind of, you know, seeing this after Signs, it just gave yeah. me that like, oh, this is what Signs was missing. Right. And you know, Signs was trying to do something else. Signs was trying to do this whole 
faith-based thing with where the aliens were kind of maybe an after or, or were kind of like the second thought or the second plot point or whatever this it's like this is the, this is what we're doing the aliens have come they're in your house what are you going to do and i really appreciated how practical it, it all was like the aliens were using the technology they were influencing electricity and able to kind of manipulate things and it felt more along the lines of what you would think uh, an advanced civilization could do. And then the lead I really like, um, what's her name? Caitlin Dever. Yeah, yeah. She she was great in, in Booksmart, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she plays a character named Bryn. Bryn's, Bryn's kind of like a – she's a badass. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, she's she has a violent past, and um, she uses it, <laughs> you know, here in the movie. <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. You know, the ending, I gave it a B, you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's okay. And uh, yeah, and I do want to amend my, my ending for signs. I think I said, I, I gave it a B minus. I want to bump it down to a C. Uh, after, oh, wow. After okay. seeing this ending, which, which, yeah. which, which isn't perfect, but I enjoy it a little more. Um, mm. Yeah. But yeah, what, what'd you think of No One Will Save You? I mean, I wanted to like it yeah. a lot. I mean, the, the, it definitely instantly just the premise of, not using any dialogue to me was great. Like that's already a plus point Love to it. me. Um, I think more movies need to do that. There's a actually another movie coming out um, start of December, which also has no dialogue, which I'm excited about. Um, Silent Night uh, with Joel mm-hmm. Kinnaman, the new John Woo movie. Um, so yeah, like I think that there needs to be more mainstream silent films because you know there have been some no dialogue films, but like you know. It, uh, the one that won the Oscar, the artist, like you know, it, it's set in the silent era, so yeah. it's like it makes sense that it's also a silent movie. Or, yeah. um, you know, people think that uh, Drive doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but Nicholas Winding Refn's films also are just very bare in terms of dialogue. Or, or you know, Guy Madden's films we've mm-hmm. talked about, like Cowards Bend the Knee, but he's also kind of imitating, um, yeah. you know, silent era films but to see like a modern day movie that that uses no dialogue is is admirable you know totally. like i really yeah and but that's where it ends for me because <laughs> it's just like uh i think there's opportunities that you have once you start you know changing um the approach because you know i think so much of what we call or what we know as film grammar which is i think a wrong way of of judging a movie anyway because it's just like it's ridiculous. I mean, all the these things that people like uh, consider what constitutes to be a bad movie is actually like they just want movies to follow a certain rule, mm-hmm. like of how things should be shot. You know that it's supposed to have a plot. You're supposed to have characters that you care about, like those kinds of things. Like right. I don't necessarily think those are requisite to make a movie that I would like. Uh-huh. You know, um, but yeah, so. Once you take away the dialogue, that's actually changed. Um, that can change like the way you can approach things visually because you're not beholden to, mm-hmm. you know, one of those boring shots. And I think I've brought it up in previous episodes to me, like one of those boring shots you can do is like characters talking to each other and then you're just cutting back and forth over their shoulders. Right. You know, like that to me, whenever I see that, I'm just like, man, even, you know, when I was saying like when people are saying that the TV is better than than movies that's what I point to is like, well, you know, these certain TV shows still shoot things in a very standard way. They're not like that innovative visually. 
mm-hmm. you know, even if they are better than certain movies in terms of storytelling. Um, so I was hoping that would be the case with this film. I was like, okay, yeah, so now you're, you know, you're not beholden to dialogue, so you don't have to shoot things the same way as, like, a movie that has dialogue. But it does that. It still does, like, the shot, reverse shot. Like, it's still, like, stuck in that mode mm-hmm. of, like, shooting stuff as if it's it's a dialogue movie. Right. You know, uh, even though it doesn't have it. And then, you know, what ends up happening, too, is because... And I, I definitely blame the director, uh, Brian Duffield, more than Caitlin Dever for this. Like, so, because, you know, she's acting as if, like, there's supposed to be dialogue there, but there isn't. It's, like, replaced with, like, these grunts and kind of heavy breathing and oh, is the yeah. size. And, like, yeah, that really took me out of it. I was just like, what? What is she doing? Like, you know, mm. um, it's just like, you know, if you're not going to have any dialogue, like, restrain the performance a little more, you know? It's like, and it, I don't necessarily feel like there had to be, like, some sort of story purpose as to why you know there's no dialogue but like yeah i just really felt like it was a squandered opportunity to really make something innovative other than just like oh yeah let's let's just make it it felt more like a novelty Mm -hmm. that it didn't have any dialogue and then yeah the shots just like looked like standard shots and then i mean even just visually i i was also like it reminded me a lot uh i don't know if you've ever watched those um those altar shorts on on youtube they're like these these short horror films and they're pretty effective actually but visually you know this is what it looked like <laughs> yeah no, no one will save you like it reminded me of those youtube mm-hmm. uh alter shorts yeah so yeah i just uh, i just felt like there was definitely like um uh squandered pot- potential with this movie it definitely had high potential. I see that. Mm. I, I definitely, I think I enjoyed it. The fact that it like, it still delivered a thing that looks like a good movie. You know, mm. it maybe wasn't as innovative as say like Hiroshima or something, but. Um, right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's another example of like shooting silently and then it's doing something yeah. interesting visually too. Yeah. But I, yeah. I do like that. It, it tried its best to keep it simple with the plot right. not not do the science thing not do some of the some of the things that some of the movies that we maybe we'll talk about later <laughs> you know kind of fell in, <laughs> into trying to do way right. too much but um right. what'd you think of the ending like did you understand why the aliens left her alone i kind of was a little curious about um, that I can't even recall because, yeah. like, the the only thing I remember from the ending is like she's greeting the neighbors, and now they're they're yeah. all like possessed, right? Because they have the the thing the in alien their throat. In yeah. So yeah. so yeah. So basically, she's left alone. Like so so she's left human by the aliens. Mm-hmm. I right. think based on her trauma or based on some some aspect of yeah. her life. Like they've kind of like they analyzed her and they're like, eh. We can just keep her. I think she'll actually be happier. Um, right. So, yeah, kind of a weird ending, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed it. All right. Yeah, yeah. and I, it seems like a lot of people did too. I mean, there was definitely a lot of, um, like, support for the movie, I think, online, especially, you know, if you get praised by um, uh, Guillermo del Toro, you know, that's, oh, cool. like, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a good blessing, you know, because he, you know, he's got like this huge following yeah so when he says something is good like this following will go watch it so 
Um, yeah, and I, I mean, that's really it. Like, I, I like that it has no dialogue. Like, I think it, I hope that that kind of sets the precedent. But it is a funny thing too, Steve. That, like, how how strange is it that it, like the next year, like it's the second year in a row that there's a direct to Hulu alien invasion movie with a plucky like female lead. Um, yeah, last year was Prey. And, that's right. Yeah, and then this year it's no one can save you. Although you know, Prey was part of an IP. Like, yeah, that was the other thing that was refreshing. That this is an original movie. It's not part of like some sort of franchise. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I do hope that it does pave the way for more original movies like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, maybe the studios would be more confident in making non-dialogue films. Yeah. Know, that would be good for me, too. <laughs> totally. And, I, I, yeah, I kind of like that it, it sort of fills that hole of, like, of left by signs or movies mm-hmm. like that where... You know, you have this whole build up to the alien invasion, but then the alien invasion is a letdown. Well, what if you start it there? Mm. Um, you know, and it's just kind of, right. you know, it's kind of that Tarantino thing of sort of revisiting a genre or a, an aspect, but teasing it out in a different way, which which right. which, which uh, I appreciate. Yeah, for sure. Ooh. All right. So no one will save you. All right. So next on my list um, is another movie. Uh, like, okay. So I was mentioning... Um, the Netflix look. So this okay. one had the Netflix look. And it's a movie that I tried I really tried, Steve. I, I watched I tried to watch it twice. Whoa. Like uh yeah, I gave it two attempts. So one was like uh, I was just thinking, okay, maybe I'm just not in the right mood for this. And then the second time I got a little bit further, but okay. then I was just like, yeah, this just isn't for me and like maybe this filmmaker isn't for me as well because I've I've just given so much of his stuff like attempts but it's just like i i'm just not vibing with it and it's uh doctor sleep mm, doctor uh, sleep yep <laughs> yeah and uh by mike flanagan who i'm i just like feel like maybe i'm allergic to his work and i mean he just released um a new netflix show to um what is it uh uh fall of the house of usher yeah. And um yeah, I mean, I'd be curious but you know, I tried to watch Midnight Mass and I couldn't get into it. Um and you know, a lot of his stuff is already based on pre-existing movies like Haunting of Hill House. There there was an original movie <laughs> that uh, that was already made. And I don't know, I just feel like I, well, I I he, Mike Flanagan is definitely one of those directors who's lumped into that elevated horror mm-hmm. uh category which to me just basically translates as it's not scary you know it's just like oh it's artfully done artfully done or yeah. Sure. yeah you know but it's not gonna scare me um and yeah i i think my main problem with this movie was that it's not i mean you know dr sleep is a, a sequel to the shining but he's making dr sleep as if it's a sequel to stanley kubrick's the shining and you know, if you you're aware of mm-hmm. the whole saga of The Shining, you know, um, uh, Stephen King famously hated Kubrick's right. version, of, uh, and um, it's funny that Stephen King was praising Doctor Sleep, you know, because he was like saying, "Yeah, it's it's a great because it, it's probably more true to it's, um, yeah, yeah, uh, to his writing than than Kubrick was, who you know, he's notorious for like taking stuff out and just leaving certain elements in." Yeah. Um, that he's interested in and you know 
focusing on that. Um, so, yeah, but, like, as soon as I started seeing, like, the carpet from the Overlook Hotel and then, you know, the lookalike casting, like, that really just threw me off mm-hmm. right there. I'm like, I mean, nothing against, like, those actors. Like, I, I think, you know, they did a serviceable thing. But, yeah, you can't you can't fill, like, Shelley Duvall's shoes. And we were just praising right. <laughs> Shelley Duvall a couple of episodes ago in, in Three Women. And it's like, yeah, there's nobody like Shelley Duvall. You know, so the actress that they cast actually is is too like conventionally good looking. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then yeah, the the look of the film it just looked ugly to me. It's just like that's why he he gets all these Netflix productions because they he he fits the company like uh, colors. You know, <laughs> it's like right. that, this kind of murky grading. Um, I just yeah and not even like I I really love Rebecca Ferguson like she couldn't even save it for me you know mm-hmm. it's like uh, um yeah and I I feel like I think uh, the second time I got a little further like he it's when um Danny goes to um he takes that bus to as far as he can and he ends up in that small town right and I think it's at the point where um I guess he meets the doctor and mm-hmm. then, you know, I think um, he starts talking about, like, his his ability. And then, I don't know, I just, like, was, like, is there something else I can watch <laughs> instead Yeah. at this point, you know? And I was watching the director's cut, too, so I was thinking, okay, this is probably going to be, you know, at least this is his intended vision. But, yeah, that was just it. It's just, like, I I, I think yeah. if you're, if you're going to do something that's, like, I, I, that's what I admire at least about AI is that Spielberg made his version of AI. He didn't try to like mm-hmm. do Kubrick's vision of it, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's just really it. Like I, I feel like Mike Flanagan isn't really an original, uh, like creative voice. You know, <laughs> his his work is always based on other people's work, and it's just not interesting to me. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting yeah. with with this one. Um, there's a, a there's such a mixed bag. There's the people that really love this movie that mm-hmm. like for some reason can get down with the smoke idea and the thermoses and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the people that are like, this is so far from The Shining. You know, it's like <laughs> like if you love The Shining, this movie is yeah. it's so different. You know, The Shining was. Um, quiet and spacious and, um, you know, left with wonder, like what's mm-hmm. actually happening. Um, and this, you know, there's so much just, just like laid out for you. Um, I, I really enjoy, there's a ch- YouTube channel that I mentioned before called Dead Meat. They did a breakdown of this movie. I think it's on the kill count. Mm-hmm. Really good. I, re- I really ran, uh, recommend just watching that if you're curious about the movie, but you don't want to watch the movie. Um, mm-hmm. That's really good. Um, yeah. It's a, so, yeah. So you, you didn't even make it to when they go back to the hotel. No. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even get to that point. Yeah. yeah. That's uh yeah. That's just how much the movie was just yeah. grating on that's, me. And, you know, yeah. the whole thing with also just imitating, I guess, even just doing a tribute to the shining and, and you know, well, that the that first like early sequence where you see Danny like you know riding his trike around the carpet, um, I mean, yeah, it was just such a terrible imitation mm-hmm. of Kubrick. Like it's just, I mean, it didn't even ca- uh, capture like how those shots like really 
you know, it was like relentless, like steady cam usage and, you know, how the sound would change from the carpet to like the the wooden floors, like all of those things just didn't work the same way. Like I was I felt like I was watching like, you know, um, an ad version of it, you know? mm. <laughs> like a cheaper version of it. And um, the thing is, like, there, there is actually a movie that a lot of people don't like that I, I like that does a great tribute to The Shining and it's Spielberg's um Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole Shining sequence in, in Ready Player One is great. Mm. Like I really enjoyed that sequence cool. a lot. Nice. Um but yeah, Mike Flanagan, I don't know, there's just something about like his it, it, he's just like got a really heavy handed approach to things. Mm-hmm. It's very and, serious. Yeah. Yeah. And it just like yeah, it it, it really just you know, it crawls for me like yeah. there's no like really th- something to just like compel me to like stay with it because you know i mean i do like slow and serious stuff but like there's just something missing yeah with, with mike flanagan stuff have you seen any of his uh older stuff no but i mean i, I you know maybe i'll give like jerry's game uh a chance sure. because i do like carla gugino sure um, yeah but yeah like i actually have like a old very loose i like connection to mike i'm not gonna like say like like we're buddies or anything but i (laughs) i um i think it was right after absentia came out which is like his first first or second film i think it might have been his first like attempt at at like a like a full-length feature gotcha Uh, his wife at the time and my wife were like friends from acting school and so i actually had we actually had dinner at their house or their apartment um mm. and so it was really fun to meet him. He was clearly <laughs> so excited about um his up his career that it was like yeah. it was like just starting. Like he had like basically wow. I think the story was uh when they were expecting their first child, he was mm. like he was like motivated to like write a movie and film it before the before the kid was born and that was absentia. So oh, it's like gotcha. written and filmed in Glendale. Like there's a tunnel in Absentia that's like like a walking tunnel that you can find um, in that in the Glendale area. Um, and it's so it's like so it's like really cool, like homemade guerrilla style self. I don't know if it's self funded, but you know they kind of got mm-hmm. all the funds to make like a pretty decent budget independent film and based on Absentia. That then got him a, a deal with a studio, mm-hmm. and then he got, and then he developed Oculus. Oculus, I actually have seen and I really like. And then it just kind of snowballed to where now he's, yeah, he's like a big horror director. And so it was, it was really yeah. neat to meet him on the come up. And I remember one of the things he mentioned, he really loves, I think, the Gunslinger series. Is, is that a Stephen King's series? Yeah, the yeah. Gun- so mm-hmm. yeah, I think he's like his like end goal or like one of his dream goals. I think was to like make that series. So like I wonder. Yeah, if... it's like the Dark Tower and the I Dark mean, Tower. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like they already tried to make a movie of it, and I guess it failed. Like it yeah. wasn't very good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we'll see if his connections to Doctor Sleep and Stephen King will help help to get that made. Yeah, but yeah, and it it feels like that would be a better as a a mini series than. Right, than a theatrical movie. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's too bad too. That speaking of squandered opportunities, because you know it had Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. In oh right, it. 
Yeah. Yeah. But no, that that's cool, dude. That you knew Mike Flanagan before he became. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Big time. Just kind of a random thing, like so. It's right. like it's, it's one of those things where because of that dinner party, I'm always like rooting right. for him, even though I'm I maybe right. am not like the biggest like fan of every piece. But right. It's like pretty cool still that he's like yeah to like have like a tangential connection, like know someone that actually got to that level where they're now mm-hmm. directing these big pieces. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, these, these Netflix shows are like being sold on his name, you know? Yeah. Um, kind of a wild deal. Right. Yeah. It's like, this is the new Mike Flanagan. Like, it's like, that's really how it's. it's yeah. And yeah, no, even if nobody's seen his stuff, they, they know his name, you mm-hmm. know? Sure. So yeah, he's 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 that big at this point. All right. All right. So um, yeah, the unfinished Doctor Sleep. So, yeah. What, what have you got next, Steve? All right. So the next, I, I don't have much on it, but this was a wreck from you. You mm. wreck. Uh, you know, I've been on this alien kick, and you mentioned to me a little movie called Under the Skin. Yeah. With Scarlett. Jonathan Glazer again. <laughs> oh, cool. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And also very quiet. You know, there's definitely right. di- dialogue in this, but uh but yeah, it just it's a you know, right on. This is a great movie. This was so fun to nice. watch, satisfying. It's it drags you on. It kind of it slows down at times where you're like, okay, but then it you feel like you're in good hands. It gets you to places. It gets you to the action. Um, it really uses ScarJo well, you know, like you're yeah. as drawn into her as all these men in Scotland are, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's pretty, it's pretty creepy without being scary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's more of an unnerving film. Yeah. I feel like that's really more the, the, the sense I get and like maybe impending dread in a way, but like nothing, you know, really scary happens uh yeah i i actually haven't seen this since it came out like almost uh 10 years yeah. ago <laughs> a well, decade it, ago 2014 yeah just kind of is that like trip of you know where are where, where are all these missing people mm. and you know you know you read about missing people all the time there's always stories right. about them and you know there there's probably more realistic um explanations for them going missing than and you know, aliens taking them into some kind of other dimension and, right. and and leaving them. But it also, you know, it's 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 an interesting take. It's, it seems you know, with whatever disclosures that the UFO community claims that might be coming, you know, other dimensional entity type thing seems to be on you know a possible explanation on the table. And it's right. it's definitely cool to see. You know the way it's done in the movie. You know it's very similar to like uh, to the Upside Down, I suppose. Um, oh and, yeah, I, I'm sure. Like yeah, the the Stranger Things uh, people mm-hmm. saw this and the, um, yeah, yeah, they took an inf- uh, you know an influence on the, yeah that black that void, void that and, silent and, void and the goo and yeah uh, yeah and I mean it, uh, talk about like great soundtrack debuts like um mika uh levy i think mm. is her name or okay. levy oh man what an incredible soundtrack mm-hmm. like it's just yeah it, it 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 definitely influences the vibe so much i mean you know when you see these men like walking into the that black goo and, yeah. and then the the sound that goes with it like mm-hmm. with the soundtrack is yeah it's just incredible and unforgettable you know 
Um, yeah, and that that was Jonathan Glazer's last movie. <laughs> so, oh wow! He, yeah, he, yeah. So it's been almost a decade since his last wow. film. Dang. Yeah, there's huge really good. gaps. Dang. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was a super talented music video mm-hmm. guy, and also like he, he. I mean, some of my favorite ads were by him. Like, there's this a uh, Wrangler ad that he did which is kind of like a guy on a road trip and it's all one minute but like you it really captures like mm-hmm. you know the sense of what a road trip is in one minute and it, it's Love playing it. like um follow the yellow brick road <laughs> oh, <laughs> during cool. the the soundtrack yeah and um you know one of his most famous um music videos is um uh rabbit in the headlights uh, by uncle Mm-hmm. Uh, featuring um, Tom York, and then you know people think that it's a Radiohead song because of Tom York's vocals, but it's it's actually by Uncle with a K, and mm-hmm. it's it's like it's known for like this really memorable image of well, firstly it has a star in it. It has Denny Levant, um, and he's like muttering to himself. He's like a crazy homeless person, but he's like walking through a like a tunnel that's for cars. And then the cars are all like driving past him, mm-hmm. and then you know it climaxes with him like kind of doing a jesus christ pose like you know um Mm -hmm. the crucifix and then like the car like hitting him but the car like gets destroyed and he's like still standing intact it's it's such an incredible video yeah yeah rabbit in the headlights um so yeah this guy is clearly talented then i i don't really know what the story is why it takes him so long to make movies but there's something to do with like i think he's very particular about how things are done Mm -hmm. because even with this like talk about like adapting a book like you know the the book that it's based on i think is is by michael farber and it's a lot more like explicit about like the alien stuff sure and the way that it describes what the alien is like it's a quadruped in in the book um, so he kind of took all of those elements out and made it more mysterious. And we've been talking about this of like the, you know, the scariness of the unknown. And I think, yeah, it it works for the movie. And I also love, you know, how it mixes all these these stylized elements with these documentary things. You know, so there's there's a reason why ScarJo has like black hair in the movie. It's so you know people wouldn't recognize her, mm-hmm. and they didn't. You know, a lot of these men that she's like talking to on the street. Like our actual, you know, passersby. Cool. No way. Yeah, yeah. They shot it like a documentary. Yeah, with hidden cameras and stuff. Um, but you know, obviously, when when it comes to, when it gets to the point where she actually picks them up and and sure. um takes them to the void, yeah, <laughs> it's that, like the, yeah, those are actors, especially like the yeah the that one guy really stands out because he he had some sort of um disfigurement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just yeah you don't forget him, you know um. And yeah, just though, yeah, like it, that whole moment of like when the skin like separates from the body mm-hmm. in the void is just unforgettable. And yeah, the other scene that people talk about all the time when they see this movie is the the baby on yeah. the shore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just how indifferent she is. And that's how you know she's an alien because she's just like unaffected by this this tragedy that happens before her yeah <laughs> you know yeah both her and the motorcycle crew guy yeah yeah he he's pretty badass like yeah and all those moments with him you know right like, so uh, yeah so you mentioned the guy who's disfigured so ultimately that's a key part of the movie where the alien starts to kind of have a change of thought and mm. decides to let him go 
Yeah. But then ultimately the motorcycle guy comes and grabs him. <laughs> yeah, because he, he's like her um her keeper kind yeah, of thing. Her like carrier he, he, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he he makes sure that nothing, you know, uh gets out of hand with these guys, but then also, you know, if she's not willing to finish the yeah. the job, he, he comes in. <laughs> Steps yeah, in. I really like in the movie. None of that's over. None of that's really explained. The yeah. ending, it's it's left vague. Like what's like what is their purpose? Mm. What are they doing? How does it continue? It's just kind of like you don't need to know. And um, yeah. and then and again, less is more. It's um, it's what makes a lot of these movies actually really good. Is yep. the less is more. Um, sure. and so this one, I this one I really liked. Yeah. Under the skin. Awesome! I'm yeah, glad we... you did. Yeah, this is this is on my stack of rewatches leading up to Halloween. So, oh good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it again. I mean, the fact that I still remember these scenes very vividly, at, you know, a decade later, now that my memory is like going, mm-hmm. it's incredible that I still remember these things. And yeah, I can't wait for his new movie, um, Zone of Interest, on um, December eighth. So sweet. Yeah, exciting. All right, so for my next uh, one, I'm just going to do a quick bundle because I don't really have yeah. much to say about a lot of these. Oh, good. Um, so this was a, a rewatch of a elevated folk horror. How's that, Steve, for uh, <laughs> a mix of genres? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah movie, um, which when it came out uh, in 2011, I, I remember really liking it. But every subsequent film by the film director, I'm just like, do I really like this guy and like do I like his films and I think that's definitely affected my reviewing and actually I am curious what you would um I should have mentioned this movie to you Steve because um uh what your take on it would be and this is Kill List uh by Ben Wheatley okay um yeah so it I mean the less you know about the movie the better uh but yeah like it there's something about it I remember the first time I saw it where it just really ha- had this um, atmosphere of like dread and tension like it was really unbearable like you really felt like something bad was going to happen uh, during the movie and I was amazed because it on the outset it's it seems like it's a hitman movie but then it's just like there's all these horror elements that start creeping in to the movie but one thing that I do remember that I hated from that first viewing was it, the ending. Mm. Like, I really thought the ending was horrible. Like, I was just like, this is so bad. And it reminded me of another movie that came out, I guess, more or less around the same time. Um, a Serbian film, mm-hmm. which also has a terrible ending. Um, but, I mean, Serbian film is just terrible in general. <laughs> it's just such a bad movie. But... um uh, but yeah, Kill List, like, I couldn't even finish the rewatch because I, I already know where it was going. That was the one thing. And mm-hmm. I think I, I just basically watched, like, one particular, um, like, really, like, harrowing, like, murder that happens um, in, in the movie. But after that, I was just like, yeah, I don't really need to watch the rest of this. <laughs> I was just, um, yeah, I, I really think Ben Wheatley's another guy who's not for me. I mean, he had, he released The Meg 2. Uh, this year he had that come out this year and that was such a forgettable film his uh his pandemic movie um in the earth was like one of the worst things i've ever seen like it's so bad like uh Mm. (laughs) so um yeah i've really gone sour on ben wheatley not that i was like completely a big fan of his before but like yeah it really started with um his adaptation of high rise the jg ballard 
book. I've never read the book, but like the the movie was just so disappointing to me, and uh, yeah, I've just fallen out with him completely. Dang. Um. Yeah. Another one, fairly forgettable. The Nun Part Two. I saw this in the theater. <laughs> you know. Um. Yeah, at the goading of somebody so it wasn't really like my choice like I wouldn't have gone out of my way to watch this uh, but yeah uh, you know jump scares just uh, I was just bored I did laugh though in like an early scene in the movie which wasn't supposed to be funny it was like supposed to be a horrific oh, moment but I <laughs> so ridiculous um, but yeah it, it involves a priest and uh him being levitated in the air. I'll just say sure. that. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, another failed attempt for me uh, in this, like, little bundle was, um, you know, I, I'd mentioned I was going to watch um, The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I only got up to the second episode. <laughs> it was, uh, Steve, I didn't realize that the, these seasons are, like, 50 episodes or something. Like, they're way up there. Like, 30 episodes, I think. Uh oh, but yeah, is this like is this the original? The yeah, the, the original oh, Rod wow. Serling Twilight Zone. Yeah, there's it only ran for five seasons, but like God, uh, there's 156 man. episodes though. My God. yeah, for for five seasons, yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, I only got up to the second episode. I mean, you know, there's there's gonna be a time. Maybe I I feel like actually Twilight Zone would be great to watch while you're sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that would be a good like sick laying in bed watch like just you know binge it um but yeah like it 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 it's kind of spooky i mean i like the premise of the first episode it was great um it's about like a guy who who ends up in a town where it's just completely um like deserted mm-hmm. and when he thinks he's like he sees somebody in the town it's just like mannequins Oh right! Like the town has like been completely abandoned, and I I like that. And then you know, obviously the there's a reveal at the end, but then you know it's it's not as uh as compelling as like just not knowing why that town was completely empty and like how he got there. Right. Um, and then the second episode that I got up to, yeah, it's it's more lighthearted in a way, but it's also got like a dark undercurrent. It's about like a man who who like meets death, and death is like. Um, you're going to die tonight. <laughs> so like get your affairs in order and he's like a a salesman type guy like he sells mm-hmm. a lot of toys. They they call him a pitch man, which is like a funny term that we ne- <laughs> we never hear anymore. And the character is actually kind of annoying cuz he tries to like trick death into like not honoring the, you know, uh the contract that they have mm-hmm. but then you know it's like oh you you kind of feel because he's tricking death it's like oh maybe you do deserve to die tonight <laughs> kind of thing and then in the end you kind of end up feeling sorry for him because it's like oh that's what's gonna happen you know because uh, there's like a deal where basically if he doesn't die uh somebody else will take his place you know mm-hmm. so um yeah he, he's like he's got that moral dilemma yeah he's gotta make a choice um, yeah, yeah, and I, I thought the guy who played Death, I he kind of looks like Rod Serling actually, like um, uh, but it wasn't him. Uh, yeah, I thought he was really good. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'll definitely give Twilight Zone another chance, but it's just like if it was a choice of like binging these episodes or just watching another movie, I just yeah, yeah, picked another movie. Unfortunately, because... it feels like homework to try to watch them all, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a way to kind of get into it where it wouldn't feel yeah. like homework. Yeah. Right, or maybe, yeah, like, 
winter when it gets colder like mm-hmm. yeah let me put on a twilight zone episode you know just yeah. cozy up yeah they're not that yeah. long right which is yeah cool. yeah they're they, they average like 25 minutes you yeah know, that's so, nice yeah yeah well cool all right so what do you got next steve all right next um let's talk about exorcist 3 Oh shit! I just watched this last night. Oh good. Okay, perfect. <laughs> okay, you want to start from the from the end rather than the beginning. <laughs> oh, like oh, yeah. did you watch all, like like all the Exorcists um, in order? Uh, no, no. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I skipped two, but I yeah. I did watch the first one. But, okay, cool. Yeah, why here? Like, I'm just curious. See, why are we starting with three? Well, I didn't. I'm I'm kind of listing them. I think. Mainly in the order I watched them. Oh, so, gosh. So I actually didn't rewatch The Exorcist yet. Um, okay. the It's a movie that I've seen. I, I know I love. It's great, great, mm-hmm. great. You know, obviously one of the tops. And so, but Exorcist 3, I was just so excited because, you know, it's it, one of those films that's like people talk about. And if you've never seen it, it always just kind of piqued your interest. Right. And I was pleasantly surprised to see the cast. <laughs> I was, yeah, uh, you know, because like, I, I didn't really know who was in it. And then to, to see George C. Scott as the main guy was pretty uh, amazing. You know, he, he's he's kind of he's older in this, and but he has kind of a young wife. I wonder if he was like not the first choice of casting. Um, um, you know, yeah, just that's... just just based on the age gap there. But right. But um, yeah, I mean, this movie is definitely fun and interesting you know it kind of gets you sucked in within the first 20 minutes uh you know the obviously the beginning it kind of starts slow there's a lot of like relationship building stuff but it's got a lot of that fun um you know exorcist style horror elements like the quick zooms mm-hmm. um you know obviously the the breathiness the gore um and then yeah some fun you know, really amazing performance from Brad Dorif, obviously. Oh yeah, he's so good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I mean, he's he's got like you know a whole filmography of great performances, mm-hmm. but this is definitely up there. I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and like he's wordy as the mm-hmm. Gemini killer, but yeah. you kind of like it. He he has the chops. He has the skill. He has the charisma. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, I kind of like these talking scenes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the way he's modulating his voice is is great. You know, because it it really leans into that thing of, because I mean, so much of the movie is is based on this whole thing of like, is he really doing all these killings and how is he doing it from his cell? Mm-hmm. You know, which is to me just fascinating. I mean, I love that like it takes it to this aspect of like, yeah, let's um let's continue this idea of being possessed, but like explore it in a different way. Let's mm-hmm. apply it to like a police serial killer procedural, you know, yeah. which I, I thought it was great. You know, that, that was really the thing. And like, yeah, I guess this is my Scott take, Steve. I actually think that exorcist three is better than the original exorcist. Like <laughs> that's, a- <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Wait, man. so like, and so I mean- like, yeah, like what aspects? Okay, so I guess we we can't really discuss it without discussing the original. So I sure, rewatched yeah. the original, yeah, fairly recently. Like I I I rewatched it, um, uh, like I guess on Monday. Um, mm. yeah. So this earlier this week, and um, <laughs> this was actually what I was talking about. Where 
I, I thought I had seen it. And yeah, rewatch is a misnomer. I have never seen The Exorcist. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. The, like, as, uh, like, I remember certain moments from it, but I realized, like, did I just see this from, like, documentaries or, like, right. certain clips that have been highlighted? Because I, this I don't be, remember. Yeah, it, it has been clipped to death. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I exactly. That. And I, I remember because when I lived in the UK, it was banned at mm-hmm. that time. So the only way to like see clips of it was to see this documentary that Mark Kermode made uh, about the making of the movie. Cool. Um, so that was the only way. And then, you know, it actually featured the the spider walk, which wasn't in the original movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows in real time, like, you know, William Peter Blatty and William Friedkin figuring out how to like actually include it back. And then, you know, eventually he does, you know, Friedkin in his director's cut puts it back. Uh, but you know people say it still doesn't work you know it's just like um, rhythmically it's just off you know and I think actually now most people won't admit it because you know um, freaking passed away recently but the theatrical cut is the better cut of the movie Mm -hmm. you know Um, and you know god bless the internet and fan edits that somebody like recreated the 1973 cut you know, down to the sound effects, by the way, which wow. got updated over the years. You know, because Friedkin is known for tinkering uh, with his films, you know, years later and, you know, presenting director's cuts. And um, sometimes, you know, the way that we saw it originally is the way to see it, you know. And um, I I haven't seen the director's cut of The Exorcist. I just know it's longer and I know the difference in the endings and I like how ambiguous the ending of the theatrical cut is. Mm-hmm. It's a lot clearer in the director's cut because um there's a conversation between Father Dyer and um uh who was the detective? Uh Lieutenant Kinderman. Which is okay, yeah, that's a tie into three because um originally that character was supposed to be Lieutenant Kinderman from the first Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Um so there was that connection and like him and Father Dyer being friends. Um but uh, Lee J. Cobb passed away. <laughs> so instead of like just making George C. Scott like be Lieutenant Kinderman, they were just like, yeah, let's just make him a new character. Um, and yeah, the thing about Three, it's directed by William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book and he also wrote the screenplay. And it's really impressive because, you know, it doesn't feel like a writerly film. Like, the opening is just a visual, like, mm-hmm. feast, you know. it's It starts with, you know, we're back in Georgetown, but then there's, like, this nightmare sequence. And, you know, the nightmare sequences in the movie are great. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, shout out to to the, the nightmare where uh, George C. Scott ends up in heaven. And one of the angels is Fabio. <laughs> right. Then, yeah, and then Pat- <laughs> Patrick Ewing is the other angel. Yeah. I was just like, man, this this is the shit right now. Like I'm watching, like, yeah, William Peter Blatty is like hardcore. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and I know like Paul Schrader also did an Exorcist movie, but you know it's kind of been buried. And but I don't, I can't imagine Paul Schrader making a better Exorcist movie than three. Um, but yeah, so going back to the first movie, um, yeah, I just thought it was all right. Like I just wasn't yeah. really blown away by it. Like it. it I to me it's like second tier freaking like it's not on top like top tier for me like sorcerer or mm-hmm. uh to live and die in LA you know it's just um uh, something about it i mean you know it, it's fascinating you know listening to to freaking's autobiography his memoir and talking about like how 
a big deal it was that you know he's Jewish and he's making this like Catholic film, you know, mm-hmm. and the yeah that that outsider perspective. But you know, like I also grew up around this. The idea of an exorcism is a lot scarier, yeah, than the actual thing, you know. And I I don't know if it's just the way my my brain is wired, but I always just thought because uh, you know it was a big deal in the Philippines. Just you'd see these clips of like. Uh, you know, all, usually young girls being possessed, mm-hmm. and but there would be no voice change. You know, the same way it is in The Exorcist. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I for some reason I just didn't believe it. Like I didn't believe that they were actually possessed. I just believed that they were having mental episodes. Mm-hmm. You know that they yeah they were just having like a psychotic break or something. Like <laughs> that was that was more what was happening or like um. Something did happen to them, but like they, uh, it it's like manifesting in that way, mm-hmm. like some sort of repressed trauma. Yeah, and um, yeah, they're just acting out because it's like, okay, now eyes are on me. Like I need to just like continue playing and you know playing the part, <laughs> and that, that's just how I, I saw it. Like it never really made me like strengthen my my faith, totally, or you know. So I was just always skeptical towards exorcisms. Um, so yeah, it just wasn't scary. And then, um, yeah. So once I, this movie, like that was really it. Like, I think the idea of the movie was more scary to me than the actual movie itself. Like, yeah, the, none of it really scared me that much. Not even like the, yeah, the voice of, of Reagan as, uh, you know, mm-hmm. possessed. Uh, and I, I mean, it's a funny story. You know how they, they, they did that voice, right? Cause it's not Linda Blair. No, it's, uh. It's this uh, 1950s actress. Uh, she was a star, um, M- Mercedes McCambridge. So she was a lot older back then. And um, she had this uh, method where basically she would drink whiskey and smoke. And then they'd have oh. her like tie- tied up to a chair. And that's how they got that voice out. Wow, her. cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this whole story in Friedkin's memoir too where he talks about like she... She originally said she didn't want to be credited for it, but then like she took it back when she felt like Linda Blair was getting too much credit for yeah, the performance. Like and she that. was like, "No, I actually just want I want to be credited." So she is now in the credits. Oh, good. Um, but yeah, it was just like also it takes a really long time to get to the meat of the movie. Like they, uh, you know, a lot of people say, "Well, you know, that that Iraq prologue in the first movie is like." Um, you know, it's necessary, like, you know, it ties it up in the end and it's all about the building of the tension. But I really feel like the best part of the movie is the last act, mm-hmm. you know, when it's just, you know, Father Marin and both and um, uh, uh, Father Karras are both there yeah. in the room with her and like coming, you know, like that confrontation with her. And, and then, yeah, the way it ends, too, is so shocking. You know, it's just yeah. uh, or uh, climaxes um, because, you know, it took us so long to get there. And then it's like, oh, wait, this is it. This is the the moment. And I love the callbacks to it in three with the the steps, you know, it's just mm-hmm. um, uh, because you, you know what it means, even if you've never seen the first one, because they show you, um, you know, uh, and I totally miss it. Like, you know, Jason Miller, who plays um, Father Karras, like he's in the in three as well oh yeah he's great yeah yeah yeah. but like i I was just like who is he like because also when i saw the credits it just said like he was 
Patient X or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's created uh, as Patient X. Yeah. But, but so it's like he's not really there. Mm. It's it's um you know it's the Gemini killer is in the prison, mm. but because Kinderman knows Father Karis, I think when Kinderman is talking to the Gemini killer. Who's oh, he's the voice, he's possessed, right? And oh. so, and so I think he's able to kind of because I think Karis Karis was like the last entity that the that the demon was in, right? From the first mm. film, so yeah. so so I guess he's able to kind of like pull that soul out and kind of yeah. em- embody him in in the cell. It which oh okay I which, get it. which I thought I was like okay that's kind of, that's a really cool inventive way of bringing that character back because right because Karis yeah. was really uh, a key and uh, a key part of the first film um, oh yeah for sure but yeah you do bring up a lot of good points of just like you know with a movie that's fifty years old now in The yeah, Exorcist exactly to the day to the yeah day. yeah, yeah um, to the year yeah so um you know. It's tough to like if you're watching it for the first time now, it's been redone, reused, repurposed and overly hyped to where it's like it's it's like you you know, you can't get a read on what it actually was at the time and what it was for maybe the first 25 years of its run. Mm-hmm. Where I think it still was scaring people into the early 90s. Um yeah. it's definitely different now. So like I I yeah. see I see what you're saying. Whereas with Exorcist three, it's might it's maybe not as scary, um, but it's funner to watch. Like I'd like mm. I like the detective aspect of it and the cases and trying to solve the case. That it's that you know it's a who done it, but you kind of knew who's at the top ultimately. Um, right. So I got to ask you. There's a very famous scene in this movie. It's about yeah. an hour fifteen in. And it's it's one of those scenes that's like put on lists of like the best scares list, mm. you know, top ten scares, you know, top ten best jump scares. Um, it's a scene where it's kind of a nice long still shot of a hallway where the nurse is kind of going back and forth and checking rooms, and there's a light on, and she's checking it. I'm sure you kind of remember it from this movie, of course. Did that get you at all? Did that jump scare or are you? Yeah. In, in I the, mean, yeah, yeah, it did because I, I, and it was this strange thing of just like when it happened, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this scene and just like also parodies of it, mm-hmm. you know, cause that the walk of that killer. Right. And then the, the massive, like, uh, what is it? Lawn shears or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I still like, don't know what that decapitation that, tool is that they have in the hospital. That thing is so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because, um, uh, you know, Red Letter Media, you know, one of my favorite YouTube channels, mm-hmm. uh, they did a video on, on Exorcist Believer and uh, Mike Stolska walks in with that exact tool. Right. I'm like, yeah. where did they find this thing? Like, you know, <laughs> it's just like comically huge. It looks like, you yeah. know, uh, a nail cutter or something that's like for a giant. It's gigantic. Um, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, this is also why I, I prefer Exorcist 3. I actually think that, um, uh, <laughs> Peter Blatty's a better filmmaker than, than freaking <laughs> another hot take that's you know, the craziest of, take wow yeah because the choices in this movie i mean the thing is as 
you know, William Peter Batty's been a writer for a long time, but he's it's not like he he um The Exorcist was like his first screenplay. He's been in the studio system for a long while. So he's he's familiar with with, you know, filmmaking. Like he's not just like it, um completely green to it. And even uh, him and Friedkin go way back because he, he tells this early story of how um like uh, Friedkin had a, a meeting with a producer. I, I I think it was Stanley Kramer and uh or no, not not Stanley Kramer. Maybe it was Blake Edwards, but it, it was definitely a filmmaker who had like was past his prime, mm-hmm. and he had given like the script for uh, uh, Friedkin to go over and like make a movie out of it. And Friedkin, you know, being as frank and honest as he is, he said the the script was a piece of shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then you know uh, Blake Edwards, uh, or we might have to correction and retraction this in the next episode. Sure. But whoever it was, it was so offended by it. He was like, you know, get out of my office, blah, blah, blah. And then when, so when Friedkin walked out and, you know, uh, like this young man followed him and he, he said, uh, hey, man, like I wrote that script. <laughs> and it turned out to be William Peter Blatty. And he was like, but I agree with you. It's a piece of shit because, you know, of all the changes and stuff. And like you're the first person I've ever um, met who like uh, was willing to be honest and upfront about it. Mm-hmm. And so year, years later, because I think this happened like in the the fifties, um, oh cool, when uh, Warner Brothers optioned The Exorcist, he picked William Friedkin to direct the movie just because of that exchange that they had years before. Cool. Um, but yeah, That's I awesome. mean the handle. Yeah, going back to that scene, the way it's handled. I mean, there's like a, a false jump scare initially. You know, when she checks on that room mm-hmm. and <laughs> the patient like pops out Leaps you know up, i just yeah. knew it's like this isn't the scare there's something else coming up but like um blatty's choice to like shoot it in long shot and just hold it is like very like bold mm-hmm. and confident of him to do that you know because most mm-hmm. you know insecure filmmakers would you know cut away or like try to do more insert shots yeah you know do more coverage but the fact that he just keeps it that way like makes it even scarier because it's like you're you're peering around like trying to see like where is it gonna come from mm-hmm. in this long corridor you know um and then when it finally comes it's like oh shit <laughs> it's like, um yeah so yeah they, it definitely got me that scene <laughs> oh cool nice <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah it's funny too steve so i assume you watched like the the theatrical cut of of exorcist 3 right i assume um, so yeah yeah because if you see the director's cut um, which That's is the one I watched. Legion? Legion, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, even the title card shows up as Legion. It doesn't say Exorcist 3. It, like, a lot of Brad Dorif's, like, scenes are in in the director's cut. They're all, like, videotape, um, like, uh, sure. scenes. Like, you know, it's so weird. It's so jarring when it cuts from, like, this beautiful, pristine print. And then it becomes, like, this degraded VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, because... Yeah, that that's the thing. The scenes are lost. Um, like I guess the studio must have like destroyed those deleted scenes. You know how they like would melt the film and mm-hmm. then take the silver out of it. Um, so I, I think that's what happened. So the closest that they could get to these lost scenes were like from a VHS. Yeah. But I was just so surprised of how like so much of Brad Dourif's performance was in those deleted scenes. Because initially, when I was first seeing it, like man, these deleted scenes aren't really adding anything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, there's a part where basically um uh Father Dyer, like uh, a nurse comes into the 
while you know it's the first time that um kinderman is visiting him in the hospital after he what happened to dyer again like something happened to him right that he had to be hospitalized was it um was he attacked or something i forget yeah yeah, yeah something like that and then um uh, so yeah, but I mean that's beside the point. So then there's a, <laughs> a really funny bit where like this really mean nurse comes in and she's like about to give him a shot for something, and then um, <laughs> and then Dyer says I already got one, and then he points to like where you know the mark was made on his his arm mm-hmm. with the veins, and then the nurse the nurse like gets so angry and she's like who the fuck did this and, <laughs> and like, it's just like a throwaway bit in the director's cut and then it cuts back to like the 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 nice restored footage and then it's like it it's played off as if nothing ever happened that's funny so it was bits like that initially but then once it starts getting into the brad dorif parts i'm like man there's so much of his performance that was left on the cutting room floor Hmm. um and that's what elevates it like i i eventually just forgot that it's like this vhs footage it actually made it even creepier cool because it's like every time kinderman goes into the the cell it's it transitions into this like degraded dark thing mm. and then you can barely make out his face yeah um and then yeah the the changing of the voice as well like because they said they that's they also had to like get the elements um for the voice changing um from that that tape um so yeah, wow, cool. it's just the same that, that that's all that exists of the director's cut. I'm hoping like there was they'll discover like in some sort of like hospital that they, there's a print of Exorcist 3 or Legion that uh, exists that was Blatty's original cut. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I I I just loved it. Like I I really think like it belongs in the pantheon of um of serial killer movies. Like it should be up there with like 7 and Silence of the Lambs and Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it's on that level for me. So totally. yeah, it's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And just as a throwaway, Exorcist two. Like I tried. I really like Linda Blair. You know, like sure. I, I especially love that her career trajectory from The Exorcist basically ended up being a lot of exploitation movies. Like that's the direction she chose. Um, uh, but two man, the the opening scene of two is just so bad. And it's funny because um, the director of two is John Borman, who I also really like, and he he has some parallels with Friedkin too. They were like, uh, they didn't really make um, personal films, even though Borman did towards the end of his career. But like, uh, they they would like hop genres and stuff. Um, and yeah, Borman's first film is one of my all time favorites, uh, Point Blank. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like this just wasn't working. The only positive that I had from um, the opening of the movie was just, or yeah, my opening impressions was um, Ennio Morricone's score, mm-hmm. uh, which was very good. But uh, yeah, it was just tonally off. Like I, I, I don't really think um, John Borman understood the the source material, and that's the other thing why I think three is so good. There's like this unity because you know Blatty wrote the source material, yeah. he's directing it, so he understands it, you know, inside out. Whereas, you know, I think with two, it's just Borman was out of his depth, you know? Totally. So, yeah, Exorcist trilogy. <laughs> and yeah. three's the best one. Did you get to um, the latest Exorcist? Uh, no, but did you? I did, yeah. We, we might as well just bang it out now since we're in this Exorcist run. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was really intrigued by uh, James Hancock's uh, 
review, <laughs> which came across, I think, my YouTube algorithm. So you've been on Wrong Reel, right? Yeah, we're we're all like connected, like six degrees of separation from cool. Wrong Reel. Like I think, like a lot of our mutuals and like uh, people have either been on Wrong Reel or like uh, you know, like Amanda's been on Wrong Reel a lot mm-hmm. of times. Uh, or they're, they're followers of Wrong Reel and uh, kind of through me being on that show, even though we didn't have the podcast yet, like a lot of people like Jacob started mm-hmm. following us because I had shown up on Wrong right. Reel. So, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. shout out to Wrong Reel and James out there. Um, yeah. He does not like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And I kind of get, I think from Mark Kerbode, who you shared his review, he also is, mm. he's not a believer. But also because he thinks The Exorcist, the original by William Friedkin, is the greatest movie ever made. So it's oh, wow. not like, okay. like that's such a high perch. Like he's the most foremost like Exorcist scholar. You know, he's made like several documentaries on it. Uh, I think yeah, on the Blu-ray or the DVD, like the making of is is his documentary. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> yeah, he's really like deep in Exorcist yeah. lore. So um, yeah. But he's also a fan of Legion. He's a fan of three. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I am a fan of Legion. Well, I, I sorry, mm. I haven't seen it yet. I, I, uh, I, I'm three. a fan of three. But yeah. um, I will say I give this movie, you know, it's 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 passable. You know, it, it's certainly <laughs> a movie. Um, I'm guessing it's kind of maybe similar to your Doctor Sleep watch where it's like, Oh man! Everything is kind of like it looks like a good movie. It's got it's got yeah. the cinematography. It's got the writing. It's got the actors. You know, it's got mm-hmm. Leslie Odom Jr. and the, you know the whole deal. It's got yeah, and they brought back uh, Ellen Burstyn, right? Which is yeah. cool to see her. Um, we got my guy DDG, um, <laughs> and uh, Danny McBride also was one of the writers, right? Is He's he really also... on this one? Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, well. We didn't get any of his good, you know, show your tits kind of style writing. Yeah, but in, there in is that one. line that everybody's been like maligning. Oh, wait, oh right, that line. Yeah, that doesn't seem very McBride no. though. Oh yeah, um, he he's on the credits. <laughs> jeez. Okay. But he he's only credited for um screen story, not yeah. screenplay. So well, it's um yeah. You know, it and again, it it falls in that same category as maybe even with your Exorcist watch 50 years later it's just retreaded territory Mm. you know so it's like there's nothing really new so in that in that way it is kind of boring um because yeah that's really it it's just like let's um let's make the exorcist but with two girls instead of one which is you know just so unimaginative compared to like william peter blatty doing you know let's let's do it as a serial killer movie yeah and like the possession is is through like mm-hmm. these, um, yeah, uh, like setting it in a mental institution, and that makes it even more interesting because it's like, yeah, again, it's playing with that idea of like, are people actually being possessed, or are they just insane or having like psychotic breaks, you know? Right. Yeah, and just the last twenty minutes, you know, just because I had like put in the work to get there, I was <laughs> right. curious. I was that is where I kind of got more curious and I got more excited to see what's going to happen. Like, so I can't lie okay. there. So at the end I did get a little excited, 
mm-hmm. but you know, it, it kind of ends how you think it would end. It kind of ends in a similar way to the first film. How there's like, oh, how like you know, the exorcism, just doing the straight exorcism does not work. You know, in these yeah. films, like <laughs> you know, it's like 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 you have to kind of get creative, and ultimately they end up with sort of a in a Sophie's Choice situation. Oh, um, yeah, but yeah. So without spoiling it, it's just it's uh yeah. you know it's a movie. Yeah, what happened to David Gordon Green, man? <laughs> it's yeah. just, I mean, I was already kind of yeah. skeptical when he started doing the dumb comedies, but they they hold up well. You know, yeah. it's like now I'm like, yeah, I, I I like Pineapple Express and sure and Your Highness. You know, yeah. they're enjoyable, but it's just like, and then you know, he he did episodes of Eastbound and Down and uh, yeah, uh, well, what is it? Um, what's Danny McBride's other show? Righteous Gemstones. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man, it's just like he talk about a guy who had all this potential when his career first started. He was supposed to be like the next Terrence Malick, you know, wow, like that's really? what he was being compared to Damn. with um George Washington, which is still like an incredible debut feature. But, you know, people have been saying because there were times where he did try to go back to that style with like Manglehorn and mm. and Joe. But it's like he's just too far gone now. Yeah. Like it's like the the machine like ate him up. <laughs> yeah, you know he's like, well, you know these things are making a lot of money, and this is a Bloomhouse production, so that means like, because uh, you know how Bloomhouse is, um, uh-huh. their their business like uh, model is incredible because all these movies are always usually profitable because the budgets are really low, and the way that they usually pay the actors or like the directors is um through like um uh box office. And then these movies make a lot of money. So, like, they end up making their money from yeah. the box office. And uh, it makes them richer. And, then, you know, like, I, I heard even though it hasn't even come out yet, um, Five Nights at Freddy's has already made its money back. Dang. You know? Yeah, just from, like, sales and uh, promotion. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah I, uh, just a side note, too. I actually went to Universal Horror Nights this year. Ooh, how was it? <laughs> yeah. It's actually not as bad as I thought it would be because, you know, I just was expecting that there would be so many people and then, you know, the lines would be super long. Sure? I didn't do Exorcist the Believer. Uh, that was one of the lines that I, I got out of because it was just, yeah, that line was crazy. Like, the, <laughs> the way it snaked around. And it was one of those things that, you know, how theme parks do that where they mm-hmm. hide the snake from you. Right. But then when I finally came around the corner and I saw how long the line was, and it was like an hour wait, but I it felt like it was longer. I was like, yeah, yeah I'd rather just go to something where it's like a twenty minute wait. Totally. And um, so I I skipped Exorcist Believer, but I assume it, it would have just been another one of those like walk through mm-hmm. haunted sure. house kind of deals. Um, and you know, not having seen the movie, like I don't know like how much I would have uh, appreciated it. Um, but yeah, why did I bring that up? Oh, just for the Exorcist thing, but um. Yeah, it just uh, it just was there any like, walkthroughs that stood out? I I like the Last of Us one. That that one was also oh, like cool. an hour yeah. wait. Uh, but I think yeah, it was pretty well done. Like a lot of the jump scares. I mean, the thing with me like getting scared at Universal Horror Nights is just also just allowing myself to be scared. Yeah, <laughs> like it was just like yeah, let let me just play into this. Like you know, I I would like scream. <laughs> like, totally, you know? yeah. It's like just and just to enjoy myself. Like I wasn't really scared. Like especially with people walking around. Oh, the big highlight though was um, you know the the tour breaking down, uh, mm. because um you know they added a couple of things. You know like um, 
they they've always done this when you do the the tour it's like this thing where they pretend like oh no it's breaking down now you got to walk the rest of the way <laughs> but it's cool because you know you get to walk through the those things like you know you walk past the psycho house and then um uh, my favorite was you know being able to walk up close to the the airplane crash from uh, war of the worlds cool and, yeah and you know since they added um uh jupiter's claim from nope when you walk through Ooh. jupiter's claim it's it's a weird like tie-in with two jordan uh jordan peele movies because it's the people from us you know the mm-hmm. what are they called i forgot what they're called but the the ones who hold the scissors with in the red jumpsuits mm-hmm. um if they're like the doubles or whatever uh yeah and that was a thing of like they would lean into you or like they pretend like they're just standing there and then they'd suddenly move there's one that was really good where uh you couldn't tell which one was the the real person and what was the mannequin until they moved when you get close to them because mm. they're like holding hands <laughs> they're holding hands <laughs> with a mannequin cool and yeah and the, the, those gold scissors getting up close to your face was pretty scary <laughs> totally <laughs> i'm sure they're they're blunt scissors you know yeah <laughs> and yeah i i kudos to these like character um performers because you know they get really close to you but not enough to like you know hit you by accident or right <laughs> anything like that um yeah, but I, I I was pleasantly surprised. I actually enjoyed myself a lot more than I thought I would. Oh, um, that's great to hear, Carlo. Yeah, yeah, because there were just so many people, but like not enough to take away from you know yeah. the enjoyment of it. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I I feel like that's the hidden secret with a lot of the or just horror horror in general, and and just that having that that feeling of wanting to scream or yell or just yeah. let out a. <laughs> It's just like, yeah, yeah. it feels good to yell. Right. It feels good to scream. It feels good to kind of have that moment of re- release. Even, even, even if it's like, even if it's, if it's maybe you're faking it to make it kind of a, a right. deal. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's still enjoyable. That, that's what it was for me. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, it was really good in um in the Harry Potter part of the park too with cool. the Death Eaters. Oh, and I wish God. I got some good pictures, but I mean, oh. people have it online. If you watch it, cool. like there's this, there's this um, alleyway that you walk down. I mean, you know, this is how unfamiliar I am with Harry Potter mm-hmm. lore. I don't know what that alleyway was, but they're there, and you know, they are kind of stopping you from walking through it. Well, first you're being led to go there, and then when you get there, they're like in your way, and they're trying to like suck you know the soul out of you with their wands cool. and stuff. But like, there's these. Like, like uh it's kind of like a smoke uh laser light behind them yeah and it, yeah it's really a striking image of seeing these death eaters you know and i yeah i wish i had a wand with me because i also like earlier that week i did the warner brothers tour and i should have gotten i picked cool. up i should have picked up a wand to to fight against there was like a tutorial too of how to like the you know the choreographer Right, the, the the magic battles. Like he, mm-hmm. he teaches you how to do like certain stances. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Like that. So, uh, yeah. So that uh, that the alley is called Diagon Alley. Diagon Alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I guess um yeah I know that's the main part, but it was like a side alley to that. Oh, like okay. it was behind it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. yeah, it was cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, Universal Horror Nights. Sweet. So yeah, we we did uh, a bit of a uh, an exorcist uh, interlude there. Bundle there, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Uh, I mean, this one might actually also be a bundle just because it has a a common character. Um, so uh, yeah, it, 
I was just curious uh, to watch um, Friday the 13th, Part 8. Yes. Uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. Love um, it. Yeah. Have you seen this one? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Not recently, yeah. but yeah, I've seen this one <laughs> at least at least three times for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if this was the best place to start with Friday the 13th. Oh, have you seen yeah. any of them? Um, like... I I'd seen I guess like a censored version of the first movie um because mm. you know that's how HBO was in the Philippines uh but that was it and you know it like it censors the best part of the movie which I had to like rewatch on YouTube late years later yeah which is you know the the one um the decapitation yeah. of um, Mrs. Voorhees you know yeah. um but yeah like I I saw that one and I just thought it was yeah like it it seemed to me like a Halloween ripoff, and mm-hmm. you know the ending is basically like a, a ripoff of um, Carrie, mm-hmm. you know yeah. those type of things. So it's just like I it I had no interest in pursuing it. But then you know maybe that was my mistake because a lot of people say that two is the best one. So, yeah, I would yeah. say I would say if you wanted to get the best sense of scary Friday the Thirteenth, because I've seen all I've I've seen them all. Wow. If, okay. Yeah. If you wanted to get the best in terms of like scary Friday, part two and part four, I, I would say are, are the ones yeah, that, yeah, that kind of I've hit that. Too. Four is also really good. If But then if, if you want to get the fun, because like after mm. part four, when they started bringing them back, they started mm-hmm. to get sleazier and they but they also started <laughs> to get funner. Okay. And so I think part six, Jason lives is kind of like the peak of, trying to thread the fun zone jason but then yeah but by the time by the time he gets to part eight it's full camp you know what i mean it's <laughs> so bad uh, yeah I, I heard four is good because that's the one with crispin glover right yeah crispin glover you oh, got man cory feldman's in it um yeah it's like it's and they're, and and they're <laughs> they're still trying to tell the story which is like admirable <laughs> and you know mm-hmm. You know, four in, you could still do it. You know, and and also part four. You know, so that's nineteen eighty four. Um, yeah. So so maybe we have to watch it ne- next year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That around this time next um, year, yeah, let's make it. So, um, but it's uh, you know, they're able to kind of get the story as wrapped up as you can. You know, and they called it the final chapter because thinking that <laughs> right. it, thinking that it would be over. You know, <laughs> right? Oh my god, that's hilarious. It's like the Saw movies, you know, like they killed um, Jigsaw, uh, Jigsaw. <laughs> killed yeah, him off, and then it still keeps back, going. Baby. He's back, baby. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. tell me about Jason Takes Manhattan, though. Ah, uh, man. Okay. So <laughs> let's start with one of my main problems with it, which is that it takes so long to get to Manhattan. Yeah, it's like... it's really Jason is on a cruise. <laughs> exactly. And this is like what? Camp Crystal Lake is in New Jersey. It's not even like <laughs> yeah um that far from uh from New York City. Yeah, like, that, that's the comical part is like how many things they had to rewrite to get them to Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like was there no budget for them to New York to shoot in New York City and it you know it 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 brought back the bad vibes from earlier this year of um Scream, Scream 6, 6 not, yeah. yeah, not being shot in New York at all. You know, it's like, why even set your story there if it's, like, barely in the movie? Um, and, 
Uh, yeah, but I, I, I thought, okay, like, there, there's some interesting kills here, and I, I you yeah. know, the, the most memorable one was when Jason, like, punches that guy's head the off. The guy's head off, yeah, that's, like, a, <laughs> an all-timer, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, it, th- this is one of my favorite tropes in, like, you know, murder movies, is that annoying character that you're waiting for to die, mm. and he lasts a long time, like, he gets to Manhattan and he doesn't get murdered, is the dad. Yeah character totally who's just like so annoying and yeah when you it's so satisfying when he finally <laughs> gets his comeuppance <laughs> um but yeah man it's just uh yeah like i don't know yeah i mean the whole full-on camp the showing jason as a kid and then the you know the sewer scene it was yeah, just like the there. yeah just awful too much <laughs> it's really bad like it's just um, yeah, I think it's a sign of the times too. Like this came out in '89, hmm. and so there was something like by the time you get to the mid, even the mid '80s, you know, like these movies aren't um, aren't getting scary anymore, and they're hmm. it's a it's well worn path at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like yeah, let's just keep like introducing these novelty things, like you know, Jason goes to hell. Right or um, even you know, worse, the next movie, yeah, that one's even, even <laughs> worse. Do not watch yeah, that. Yeah, the crossover. One. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then um, yeah, the crossover, which um, this is the movie I wanted to pair with it. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, before we move on to that, though, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on on Jason <laughs> takes Manhattan? Well, just uh, I, you know, just to echo what you're saying, at you know, by the time you get to part eight of a series, <laughs> yeah. um. Really, Jason is the star now, and right. he has been the star really since maybe part three. Right. And and so these movies start doing this thing where instead of introducing you to a group of r- relatable, maybe likable or mostly likable right. characters, to you know, you know that was that that's definitely the case in the first two Fridays. I, I would say is like you kind of like the characters is you then um, are introduced to a cast that you are annoyed with. They all kind of suck, and you're waiting for them to die. Right. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, this is just right in that wheelhouse where the characters are annoying. All the stuff on the boat, it's, it's kind of cool, but, it's like, yeah. but by calling it Jason Takes Manhattan, you're itching to get there, and uh, you're kind of like, why are we on, on a boat? Whereas, like, yeah, have uh, you know, having a killer on a boat is is pretty scary. Um, yeah, it should have just been called Jason Takes a Cruise. Yeah, like, that exactly. Writing the Thirteenth Part Eight. Yeah. Oh man. But um, yeah, it's 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 pretty shocking t- to learn that Camp Crystal Lake is is connected to a river or there's an outlet. To, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're to going the, down yeah. the Hudson. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's unbelievable. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, and then um oh man, and then also Jason isn't even played by the guy who usually plays him, uh, Kane Hodder. Like he Oh wait, no, no, sorry. He is this one. Yeah. Right? No, yeah. no. I'm sorry. I'm mixing it up with a later one. Yeah, Kane but, Hodder yeah. I think started on 7. So yeah, so 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 Hodder's part 7, part 8, I think all the mm-hmm. way through Jason X, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought he was always Jason. I didn't know that he's own. He only started like midway through. No. Yeah. There's. There's. Yeah, been who were the earlier Jasons? Jasons. Yeah. No doubt. Oh man. Okay. Kane Hodder's the one who 
he's the actor who like most loved playing Jason, and so is like yeah. put, him, put himself out there to be kind of known. You know, it's like right. hey, I and played Jason. Yeah, yeah, and he's the guy who like is at you know the conventions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For yeah, sure. like th- yeah, that's why I just identify him as that. And um, you know, weird uh, like uh, tie-in too. You know, he um, he was like a stunt person on Seven. <laughs> oh, cool! <laughs> like who who was he? Was he John Doe? <laughs> yeah. The oh, interesting. No way. Adventure movie. Cool. Yeah, yeah. He, he's credited for stunts. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, who was he? Or was he Brad Pitt? <laughs> like, it's like he's so much yeah, bigger who had than a big, Brad yeah, Pitt. Who had a big body in that movie? I, I don't know. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. yeah, but he's credited for stunts, so. Cool. Yeah, good shit. Way um, to go. So, so, yeah, the tie-in, I mean, the, the pairing, yes. I, I would say, is um the other one that I wanted to see, which is actually the one that I really wanted to see. The yeah. eight was just kind of a peripheral. Like, I was yeah. just like, somebody had posted about it. And I was like, okay, I I, I want to see that. Um, and you know, it's directed by Ronnie Yu, Freddy versus Jason. Yes, <laughs> yeah, the, the crossover. Uh, yeah, once you get to that point in your franchise, you know, that's also kind of worrying. You know, when you're you're combining characters from two other movies, yeah, from two different movies. Um, but yeah, this definitely, I think, is more of a Freddy movie than a Jason movie. Like, it just feels like you know mm. the 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 kind of um the vibe of like the the irony the knowing irony is like more scream yeah you know and west craven than um uh than jason cuz yeah even like the the camp crystal lake bits and all the jason bits they seem more heightened i mm-hmm. feel yeah you know and i mean maybe that's ronnie Yu's style um but yeah i mean i like the cast you know monica kina shout out to her she sure. was um she was in uh, Dawson's Creek, and um, oh, I loved her in Undeclared. Mm-hmm. You know, I, sure. I still think that's that's the best thing John Judd Apatow's ever made. And uh, yeah, I kind of had a crush on um, Catherine uh, Catherine Isabel. And shout out to Jason Ritter, man. Yeah, uh, you know, he, yeah, <laughs> um, the voice of um, Dipper Pines in Gravity Falls, which is another like spooky season rewatch for me. You know, such mm-hmm. a great show. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the, there were some fun kills in this one too, like especially the the cornfield party sequence. Yeah, that is yeah. really good. The the um, you know, just that overhead shot of Jason on fire as he's walking yeah. through the cornfield. Right. Um, yeah, he he obviously at the end of there he's really slashing down pretty much everyone at the party, but then yeah. Mm. He throws the flaming machete through that fat guy, which is kind of <laughs> cool. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, was, was there another set of kills there? Yeah. Um, well, that was the first dude he, he kills because the guy, the the first dude who sees him, like, kind of makes fun of him. Oh, right. I think, yeah. And then he kills that guy first, and then the fat guy, like, runs away because oh, they're both it, making fun of him. Is that when he twists the guy's, like, head around 180? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, that was that was it. That was it. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, it's like one of the most memorable images in the movie is just him emerging yeah. from the cornfield. I I just kind of felt like um the director should have held that shot a little longer because sure. it was so cool. Yeah. Um really cool. But yeah, it's just um yeah, you know, it was it was fun, you know, the but like kind of throwaway for me. Uh, yeah. 
Like, what I wanted it to feel more like is, like, New Metal. Because it came out around that time. But probably when New Metal was already starting its decline. Yeah, but like, you I know, mean, I was like, it, it definitely had some solid drop D kind of metal yeah. in the title card. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I, I, I wish it leaned more into that. You know, because I, mm-hmm. I remember somebody else posting about that. Like, what are, like, some New Metal movies, you know? Sure. Um. Yeah. And yeah. This kind of almost falls into it. You know. There's probably a Final Destination that's probably kind of a new metal version of this. Um. But yeah. Right. So I have a like I have a pretty deep love for this movie because I remember seeing nice. it opening weekend. I think with Jr. Shout out to Jr. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out to Jr. So 2003. Yeah. Two, wow. 2003. I am graduating college this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like primed for this. Like, like I had been hearing about this kind of a crossover in the works for a, at least a decade at this point. So really excited to see it. Found myself in the theater, both being JR, like rooting for Jason. You know, they kind of, yeah. and, and, and I think that's kind of how the movie wants you to feel. For sure. Um, but this movie, it's, you know, it's very 2003. Like, um, yeah. There's nudity right away, like right right up top. <laughs> yeah, very fake. Gal- yeah. Really fake boobs galore in this movie. Like yeah. three of the four first women that you see just got them coming right out at you. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I think I I'm, I I can't confirm it, but it it felt like Catherine Isabel had a, a body double. Right, something so, something's going on there. Yeah. Um. And so you know, it's just it's just very of it's of this era, and so it's you know it's the drop D era, it's the cringe core <laughs> new metal era, Woodstock '99, that whole deal. Yeah. And so you're gonna get a little bit of that, but everyone's everyone seems like they're having fun. Like Monica Kina seems like she's having a good time, and so's uh, Kelly Rowland, who at this point, oh yeah, <laughs> she is a star <laughs> at this Rowland. point. Yeah, she's great. I mean, who? Who knew that, like, you know, she had the, the acting chops, you yeah. know? Because I think she's a better actress than uh, Beyonce, you know? Yeah, for sure. Destiny's Child connection. Yeah, she's solid in this. And But again, yeah. similar to Jason Takes Manhattan, the characters are written to be unlikable. Like, right. even really Monica Kina as the lead, you kind of don't mm. care about, you know? Yeah. Like, like really, the, the only people with charisma is Robert England, who's just doing yeah. his thing. He's so good as yep. Freddie, of course. Um, I did think Catherine Isabel had some good um, yeah. presence, I presence, would say. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even just uh, even her character, like there, there was something about like her, the way she dressed with the backwards cap and mm-hmm. the kind of um, uh, crop top, you know, it was just like there, there, there was, um, there's a specificity to her character, you know, we're adding more depth. <laughs> yeah, it's a throwback to horror characters, kind of that you've seen yeah. b- before, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I just confirmed, by the way, that yeah, she did have a body double for oh, her nude scenes. That's funny. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, ultimately, I I watching this movie in the theater was so fun. I remember sure. people were really scared at a couple of the scenes where Jason kind of pops up. Like I I remember. There's a scene where not the first guy who gets killed, but the second guy, he's talking to his dad on the porch. 
and then yeah. he, and, and then he has kind of like a nightmare scene and he wakes up next to his dad and he kind of shakes him and the dad's head falls off. Yeah, <laughs> I remember I remember me, me and JR were really baffled by that. Like did Jason set the head back on the guy's <laughs> neck exactly. for like that gag? Out the logistics. Yeah. <laughs> Or was his his cut just so clean? Right, that, like it it came like straight through, and then the head yeah. remained where it was. Like, I you think know. I think that's probably what it is because yeah, we are clearly getting supernatural, super skilled Jason in this film. Like he's got yeah. crazy strength in this. <laughs> in, in yeah, because I I think they had to play it up because obviously you know. Freddy would win because Freddy exists in the in the dream world yeah. where he can do whatever he he can do. So like yeah. yeah, they had to to play up Jason a little more and make him right. yeah, superhuman. Speaking of like best kills, the uh that that first kill of the guy Trey in the bed where they were after oh, yeah. after he stabs him, he kind of sandwiches him in the in the bed <laughs> and breaks his back backwards. That's also yeah. like one of like the top 10 Sort of Jason mm. kills whenever, or maybe even top five if you ever see like like some of those lists. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so that's a good one. Um, okay. Obviously, I love it, even though it's not that great. The writing <laughs> is really bad. I pulled <laughs> for this app. I've only pulled one clip, and it's from this film, just to kind of like show right, the writing. So this is when they're like the group of teens. I guess they're supposed to be, even though they all look like they're twenty eight. Yeah. <laughs> they um are have are come together to kind of figure out what's going on and they're discussing it. Here we go. So he used Jason. I mean, he knew that that we'd think it was him. That we'd spread the fear again. And now that it's working, it's like he can't shut Jason back down. Wait a minute. Freddie died by fire. Jason by water. How can we use that? I think <laughs> we should concentrate. Wow. Oh my god! How can we use that? Is right. Oh man, they needed um yeah Kevin Williamson to like doctor that script, man. <laughs> the writing's not good. Yeah, and yeah. and by the time you get to 2003, you've seen good horror writing at mm. this point. You know, we yeah. talked about it with the faculty even mm. in '98. Like it's right. like like it, it's it's possible. You know, this movie is fun based on the charisma of Freddy the power of Jason and whether you like these characters or not. And, and, uh, and so it worked yeah. for me cause I like Freddie and Jason for others. It's just, uh, enjoy the slop cause it's kind of, yeah. it's, it's pretty, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty sloppy, but yeah. I will say that, you know, there is a good amount of action, which, which is fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I say, uh, I'll say this was one of the ones that I actually enjoyed. Yeah. Um, yeah but, uh, I don't know if I'll, I'll watch it again. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, that, yeah. that was good. That one viewing that the I one had. View. Well, yeah, it's yeah. funny. Like the violence is like WWE meets mm-hmm. Wiley Coyote level, like ridiculous. Right. Like it's so over over the top. It's but <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's really it's it's a movie for movie goers, um, which right. it's kind of fun. And I will say the ending shot when Jason is coming out of the water holding Freddy's head that got a mm. big applause in the nice. in the theater. Because I think the crowd was hoping that Jason was was the winner, you know. Right. And so, yeah, that got a big pop. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Piece of history. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you chimed in, Steve, but, yeah, I think it's your turn. What have you got next? Okay. 
Um, I'm going to save my favorite for the end. So I'm going to go with um, another wreck of yours that I Mm. saw recently. And that is Mouth of, no, In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what's what's your history with this film? Because I had never even heard of it until Um, you suggested it. Yeah, I mean, I knew of it, but like, yeah, me watching this for for the app was the first time that I ever saw it. I'd never oh, cool. seen it before. Yeah, it was just one of those things where um, people had said like this was one of you know John Carpenter's like last really good movies. Like, you know, it was it, or some would say that it's not as deep as his, his earlier stuff, but like, you know, it's still enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And man, I mean, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised because I was, I was ready to write off John Carpenter a little because, um, I I had seen like uh, Escape from New York, um, like maybe a month ago, and I did not like it. Mm-hmm. Like I was just thinking, am I wrong about John Carpenter? And then like uh, I rewatched um, Assault on Precinct Thirteen, which I remember enjoying the first time I saw it. And I was like, man, this isn't as good as I remembered it. Mm. <laughs> and now I'm worried about like rewatching the thing, you know. Uh, sure. But that that's gonna be more of a winter watch. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm not, I'm saving it for yeah. for deeper in the winter. That's fine. Um, but man, this was great. Like, yeah, what yeah. did you think, Steve? Like, uh, how was it for you? Dude, love it. This is a great yeah. film. I considered putting it in the Steve Smith Cinemonian, but it's not nice. Not not quite there. Oh, okay. uh, like I kind of yeah. want to give it a, a second go, but yeah, I I thought it was like the only knock I had on it was just the early '90s style. There's something okay. in either the fashion or the cinematography, yeah. or th- there's just something about that era of movie making that um just kind of irks me. Like I like yeah. I even re- remember seeing it in the player from yeah. Altman, just kind of like not enjoying being in that time period. Um, right. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's kind of the only knock was just the way that that, that, new, that he made New York look in, in those mm. early scenes. But then once you get to Hobbs End, it's like yeah. really cool. And it's really co- – like I, I oddly felt comforted, I thought, by the, <laughs> by the classic horror feel of Hobbs End. If yeah, it, yeah. Uh, like it started to like give me the vibes of a show that scared me as a kid, which was um, "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Mm-hmm. Cool, you know, um, Midnight Society, and you know the stories that they tell around the campfire because it it definitely had that vibe, especially when they get to the church. Yeah, and cool um, church. yeah, the yeah, all the citizens like show up like the, of the town <laughs> outside of it, and it's just like man, like yeah, so. You know, we we've kind of chronicled that not a lot of movies scared me. This movie scared me, dude. Whoa, like, cool! There were, there were several moments that really like made my gave me goosebumps. Like, um, yeah, when they they're first like driving into town and there's that dude on the the, on the bicycle. Bike. Yeah. Oh man, like that was just so unnerving. And then mm-hmm. um, uh, the the nightmare that he has with the with the false awakening. Mm-hmm. Where, oh, you right. know, yeah, and then he suddenly turns to his side, and then that f- guy with the face is right next to him. And yeah. Then, oh, yeah, that, that. That was a good jump. And there's another yeah. one that got me. I think it's towards the end. Oh, right. When he's coming out of his cell and he's walking away 
and then something crosses in the foreground mm. really quick. Like that was another like quick little jump scare that was like, ah, Carpenter, you got me. Yeah. Yeah. Really effective stuff. Like, man. Yeah. So yeah, he, you know, he has that nickname of master of horror and, you know, this is definitely up there, I think, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's funny because it's already like the start of his decline <laughs> yeah, with <sure>. this movie. <laughs> like um, in, even the year before, he made like a non-horror movie with uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which was just like such an odd choice for him. And then he's working with Chevy Chase, you know, and it's like a comedy really. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just like, and I remember enjoying that movie actually because that was also the first time I had ever seen in a movie like a, uh, um, like it's a PG rated movie, but there's a scene where like a character has like premature ejaculation, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Sweet. like I didn't get it at that time when I was a kid, but like uh, later on, I'm like, oh, that's what happened. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the Forrest Gump scene too. You know, you're wondering sure. like what's happening to him when he touches right. Jenny's boobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but you get it when you're older. So yeah, there's a scene in that in Memoirs of Invis- Invisible Man, and I was like, "How did this like pass like the MPAA and they rated it PG?" Yeah, <laughs> cool. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, they really just started, you know, like I mean, there's there's some champions like people like vampires, which you know Jacob and I discussed last year in our spooky episode, mm-hmm. uh, which I was kind of disappointed by, and there's people who champion uh, Ghosts of Mars, um. But yeah, and then people are hyped for his new um, uh, series that's coming out on Peacock. Um, I forgot what it's called. Um, but yeah, like people are uh, excited. Uh, Suburban Screams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, people are hyped for that. I, the funniest thing for me, because there was like an LA Times article about him. Like there was a, a photo of him directing an episode from his couch. <laughs> <laughs> and he had like energy drinks and stuff on the side. That's sweet, <laughs> like, dude. Yeah, it's like, man, this guy's living the life. Like, he doesn't even have to leave his house to direct a movie. Like, you know. um, yeah, yeah, and he's he's notoriously like, you know, he has so many great like sound bites. You know, like it, you just draw up a random interview with him, like being grouchy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, th- there's that Q and A that I really like. Um, where somebody said like, oh, Escape from New York was really great, but what happened with um. Escape from L.A. and he just tells the guy to like fuck off. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like so good. Um, yeah, now I'm curious. I mean, what if Escape from L.A. Is, actually is better than Escape from New York? Because it's such a low floor for me. Like I did not like Escape from New York yeah. at all. Well, so we should um, give it a shot. Shoot, Escape. See, when did Escape from L.A. come out? Ninety six. So it was like two years after oh, okay. uh, In the Mouth yeah. of Madness. Yeah, but yeah, it's I, in the mouth for madness. Good stuff. Like yeah, it's similar with me. This was also like borderline Carlos canon, but mm-hmm. I think it was just like missing that one little thing that just like makes yeah something you know special. Yeah. You know, so. but it's like you know, it's 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 clear. It's um, there's some skillful filmmaking at mm-hmm. parts, which which is it's always fun. I really like all the turns the story took. Yeah. Um. And I was thinking about it. I really like movies like this where you're you're from the skeptics' point of view. Like, right? John Trent is such a cock at the beginning. It's so yeah, arrogant. He, he has nothing to do with um, 
with the world either because he's he's actually an insurance uh, investigator <laughs> right you know which is great yeah, yeah. and he, and he thinks he's so clever mm. you know which is so great um and then yeah that so to kind of be led into this world through that perspective where he thinks everybody's conning him and you know J- Linda Styles the uh, the woman he's with she's partially conning him but not really and then yeah it's just a really great portrayal especially once you get to the end of what it must feel like to go insane yeah just like where you can't trust anything you think you're the only one that's figured it out and everyone else is crazy and maybe you are and in in, in this movie it's it kind of shows that to the full extent and and even though it ends on a kind of interesting kind of point of levity there in the movie theater it still yeah. totally works to me. It's still, um, it's the right balance of giving you enough information and enough mystery with um, still some questions. And um, yeah. yeah, it's just a good feeling once you get to the end there. Yeah. And I, I love too how like this movie like unintendedly like continues its legacy as a meme. Like <laughs> there's, there's moments of the movie that are memeable, like him screaming on the bus like that's that's become a meme. Oh, cool! And then yeah, him eating popcorn and in the empty movie theater—that's also meme. totally yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah good yeah. shit. It, and then it's it's funny. I definitely remember this in the '90s. How the characters call themselves call each other by their last names. Mm. Like like yeah. Linda Styles calls John Trent Trent, and right. he and everyone calls her Styles. It, yeah. it just reminds me of like when I was in middle school and he, maybe even into high school, everybody called me Bush. Yeah. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah, just, that was like, the thing. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, was, it was just like, hey, we're going to call you by your last name. So, yeah. Um, yeah so you got Trenton Styles <laughs> in this movie, which is funny. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Good, man. All right. So uh, I'm just going to do a bundle. Bundle. Um, just kind of uh, like, I guess, some, some yeah. middling movies cool. um, just to get through it. Uh, so I, I watched The Hitcher. For the first time, I'd never seen it. Our boy, C. Thomas Howell. C. T. I think, yeah. I think this was his movie after, directly after Secret Admirer. Oh, like in yeah, yeah. This was the movie he made. So you know, riding off that that charm of a teen comedy, he makes a you know kind of a more of a thriller really than a horror. Yeah, movie. You know, but a great performance by Rutger Hauer as like this mm-hmm. unrelenting, like almost yeah, superhuman as well guy who's like chasing him and then you know he kind of gets involved with um jennifer jason lee who who seems to be the only person who believes mm-hmm. that he's being chased by this guy and all these other unwitting people like he's warning along the way on this road trip uh you know just end up getting killed because you know they think he's uh thomas uh, c thomas howell is the crazy one mm-hmm. um and yeah it has a great like kind of finale moment where it does something unexpected. It like cuts to black and then you're like, what the hell just happened? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, and it's just like such a surprising way and like an interesting choice to make in a climactic scene. Mm. Um, and then you're, you're missing like this gap there, which cool. is great. But then, you know, it kind of just ends in a standard way with the climactic, like uh face off after that, you know, cause it, it, the movie has a part where you think, oh, that's where it ends. And then, you know, actually, no, it keeps going. But it's still only an hour and a half, so it's it's yeah. not too bad. Enjoyable, 
enough. But again, yeah, another thing I, I probably will never yeah. watch again. Wow. Um, so this movie is sandwiched between Secret Admirer for, for, C, for C. Thomas Howell. So yeah, he went from Secret yeah. Admirer to The Hitcher to Soul Man. Soul Man. <laughs> what a trilogy. Amazing. C. Thom- that should be a box set. <laughs> yeah. C. Thomas Howell box set. Of, <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, because I mean, the Hitcher is probably the most regarded of those three. Like, you oh know, yeah, it's getting like s- deluxe edition treatments, you know, on on Blu-ray and stuff. Yeah, like, you know, uh, people really like this movie. So yeah, surprising. yeah, but I don't know. I I would still pick Secret Admirer over yeah. <laughs> the Hitcher. I think yeah, cool. Okay, so another one, first time watch another movie that's actually celebrating its thirtieth uh, anniversary this year. Um, Hocus Pocus. Okay, you know, I'd never seen it before, and you know, um. I was a big fan of uh, Eerie Indiana, which also has Omri Katz in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not as good as <laughs> in, in Eerie Indiana as he is in in Hocus Pocus. I mean, to me, the the real revelation is uh, Vanessa Shaw. I I had no idea she had been in movies for that long. You know, mm. and she's just like this. I mean, you know, radiant beauty sure. on screen. Like it's just a shame. That she she hasn't been in more movies and also like in more leading roles, mm-hmm. like you know she has a small part in in Three Ten to Yuma and Eyes Wide Shut. You know she's the the prostitute that mm-hmm. like entices um um Tom Cruise and basically gives him a bargain. You know she's like yeah three hundred bucks and it's like you know that's <laughs> sure. that's a sweet deal for Vanessa Shaw. Um, but yeah she was I mean her her great like defining role for me though is um in Two Lovers. Opposite the uh, Joaquin Phoenix, she's mm-hmm. so good in that movie. Um, yeah, but I, I also have a feeling I like why she hasn't played many lead roles, and I, I feel like it has something to do with like the Me Too movement and like you know that that whole thing of um, a lot of these you know producers oh, sure. uh, being enamored with her and like you know expecting something in return for yeah. her to like. You know the quid pro quo thing, and I think I think that's why her career has gone the way it is. Because she's she's also I think she's happily married. Yeah. So it's like yeah, she doesn't have time for that kind of shit. She's probably yeah. like like a well-adjusted nice lady. You yeah. Know? And so she's like exactly no, yeah. like fuck off. I'm not gonna do that shit. Yeah. Exactly. So good for her. But yeah. you know, I I would definitely um you know cast her in something. You know. And, sure. And I mean, she's she's probably closer to her fifties now. Um. But you know, I, I mean, the the last thing I saw her in was in, in Two Lovers, and that was in two thousand eight. So I don't know what she. Oh no, Three Ten to Yuma came after that. Um, but yeah, like I I don't know what she's been doing since then. But yeah, she deserves to be in more movies because mm-hmm. yeah, she's she's just one of those like great like cinematic faces, you know. Sure. Um, but yeah, Hocus Pocus is just fairly forgettable. I I really thought like I would enjoy it more, but like I was just like, yeah, this is okay. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really get that much from it other than yeah, enjoying Van- Vanessa Shaw in it. And yeah, just um yeah, like Thora Birch is adorable as a kid. Yeah, okay. and I was just like yeah. thinking like seeing Thora Birch as a kid in this movie, I'm like, are me and Thora Birch the same age? <laughs> Cuz it's just like oh. I feel like she's been in movies for so long and um you know, like by the end of the decade she's in American Beauty and she seems like full grown. Oh, she she's 2 years older than me. Okay, yeah, cool. she, she yeah she's she was born in eighty two, um, so yeah uh yeah that was really it with Hocus Pocus um another one that I 
thought may have been a rewatch, but I've forgotten most of it. And it was mostly enjoyable until like they land, uh, which is Red Eye, which most oh, people right. consider to be like Wes Craven's last really good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Um, and clearly, you know, he he kind of has he made his comeback with Scream, so there's all this goodwill that comes with that movie. And you know, this was like. I guess the movie that Killian Murphy made right after um, 28 Days Later. So his his star was really ascending, mm-hmm. you know. It was only like his, his third role, I want to say, in a movie. And he's really good in it, even if his American accent is a little dodgy. Sure. Um, shout out to Bill Scurry, who, who likes to nitpick on those things. Oh, good. And then, yeah, um, you know, Rachel McAdams is good. And, yeah, I just like the vibe of, like, it feels so small scale, but it takes place on an airplane. Like all of those those aspects, like were really enjoyable. But then, yeah, when it get goes over the top, once you know they land and like there's this whole chase yeah. involving them, like that. That's sort of really when it gets silly, and then you know Killian Murphy just won't die. <laughs> so, yeah. But for the most part, and it's it's eighty minutes. Like it's it's you know it's like very brief, so right. it's enjoyable enough. And yeah, uh, another like. Uh, before he became Brian Cox that everybody knows now, you know, it's so weird to see him as like kind of a middle-aged man and his hair looks dyed, you know, sure <laughs> in brown hair. Because yeah, I think he already had white hair by that point. Because um, in Rushmore, which was in '99, he, o- he already had white hair. Mm-hmm. So I think he dyed it to kind of make him look younger. And then the last of this bundle is um, Tales Tales from the Hood. Uh, i've never seen that one no yeah i i had heard good things about it and then i was just like yeah it might be worth watching you know um and the thing was i was hooked early on i mean it's it's an anthology movie so Mm -hmm. it's like yeah you know uh i forgot if it's like four stories um and the first story is really good um and also i like the 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 unifying um like character of all the stories is Clarence uh, Williams the third, yeah. who always just has like a very freakish face, you know. Like yeah. he looks like he never blinks, you know. Um, and yeah, the, strangely enough, timely that you know the first story is kind of like a BLM, uh, like oh, uh, yeah, story. You know, I, I wasn't expecting that from the movie that how serious it was. Like in the second story, actually deals with like child abuse, uh-huh. which I was just like, man, this is a lot heavier. Like I thought from with, I guess with the title of Tales from the Hood, I thought it was gonna be like a horror comedy. Yeah, you know, because um, yeah, Clarence Williams the Third is also like very good at you know doing humor as well, like totally. deadpan humor. Um, but yeah, like all the stories are uneven. Like it, it I started to lose interest by the third story. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember what it is for the life of me, but it looks great because it's actually shot by um, Anthony B. Richmond, who also shot um, Candyman, which is also another movie that deals with like serious social issues through like a horror lens, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so yeah, the, I mean, it was a good, good looking movie, but yeah, it's again just not memorable enough for me to really like want to revisit it. Cool. And, um, yeah. All right. All right. Um, Steve, is this going to be your last one, your favorite? Yeah, this is, this okay, is going to be my uh, last one. All right, okay. Let me just throw in a couple more before okay. before we do. I, I did mention this movie to you, but I guess you you didn't get around to seeing it. Um, Wreck? Yeah, I was not mm-hmm. able to see it, but I've, I've, I've seen, like, summaries mm-hmm. of it. So, like, yeah, like yeah. I'm aware of this one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it, w- it was remade as a quarantine in America. I can't believe they made four of these. 
Um, so, <laughs> uh, I rewatched it, um, and I remember when it came out, like, I really liked it. Like, I was like, man, this is, like, what I want a horror movie to be. Um, and I remember a friend of mine who was, like, a big horror buff, like, just totally shut me down and said, like, this is a stupid horror movie. Like, all these characters are doing very stupid things. And there is, like, a very yeah. stupid death in the movie, <laughs> which, like, I just laughed the- this time around. Yeah. But, you know, again, it's a very tight 80-minute movie. And I think, like, the the last act of the movie it is genuinely terrifying. It, like, it takes place, like, in a dark mm-hmm. um, apartment and, like, almost all in night vision. Like, yeah. I thought, yeah, that was genuinely scary um, at the end. But, yeah, you know, the, the whole, like, it's supposed to be a fake documentary. Like, there's a news crew mm-hmm. shooting it or a news cameraman. Like, it, it's definitely done a lot better than... Um, uh, what was that J.J. Abrams movie that was I hated? Uh, Cloverfield, you know. Cloverfield. Uh, yeah. yeah, but one of the main flaws is that you know sometimes like they can't help but like shoot it in a way where like this is too smooth or like it feels too professional mm-hmm. um, to be a shot by a cameraman on his own, like basically you know on the fly, you know, just to get like the convenient shot. I mean, even the the finale, like there's. There's some weird things where it's like, why would she turn the camera on herself like that? Right. Shouldn't she be like turning the camera to see what's going on right. around her? You know, it's like, yeah. The, so it has some flaws like that. But other than that, like it's still enjoyable. And I kind of want to continue with it. Like I want to see how they, how, what happens in Wreck 2. Because like, you know, the, the ending of this is very open-ended, mm-hmm. which I also like. Um but yeah, well, yeah. How does it end up being four movies? Like, is it one yeah. of these things? Because I love the scale of the movie too. That it's it's most of the action is confined to this apartment building, but you get a sense of like something going on in the outside world too. So does it spread? Is that what happens? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'd I'd be curious to watch the other wreck movies. Yeah. Um, and then uh, yeah, one last bundle before we get to the favorites. Uh, I watched uh, two Final Destination movies, two and three. <laughs> cool. <Sweet>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, um, like, like, uh, what? Um, two is the roadway. Yeah, yeah. Mayhem, Accident. death, yeah. right? And then three is the the roller coaster. The roller coaster, right? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, and um, three is the one with the legit star in it too, with um, uh, Mary Elizabeth mm. Winstead. Winstead, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean they were enjoyable. Uh both of them were enjoyable. Now I probably like 3 a little more than 2. Yeah. Uh but the the first death, the first major death in 2 barring the vision of the roadway accident. Um do you remember Steve what the music was playing when the you know it's that lucky guy who won the the lottery and it seems like his luck is saving him from all the deaths. Do you remember what he was listening to? Uh, no. In his apartment? What is it? Oh, dude. He was listening to Incubus's Vitamin. Yeah, that's tight. <laughs> Hell yeah. So he plays over his, his whole death scene. Sweet. Uh, yeah, of him like narrowly missing all these things until finally, like, yeah, the, the what is it? The fire exit ladder <laughs> falls on him. Oh, crushes um, him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good death. Yeah, yeah, it was. But, um,. Yeah, it was, it was, other than that, it was fairly forgettable, too. Like, yeah. it also felt like the cop who was, like, investigating stuff, he was acting. Or wait, am I mixing this up with three? Is three the one with the cop? 
God. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't remember. Know. But which whichever one of these had a cop. No, no, it was two. Yeah, I remember because the cop is like going over the accident with her, um, and the the cop also like survived, um, because he was supposed to be part of the wreck as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the cop just like is you know bending all the rules, you know, just to <laughs> kind of help her. Along yeah. the way, I can't even remember who played the lead in the the second one. Like that's how forgettable she was. I'm sorry. Yeah. But um. Yeah. It says AJ Cook. Yeah. 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 I I don't know what else she's been in, but yeah. Uh, three. You know, you remember Mary Elizabeth Winston, oh, yeah. especially oh, now yeah. her stature and plus um, uh, her her younger sister too is played by um Amanda Crew from mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. Yeah, it's just great to see her like playing kind of an annoying teenager, <laughs> you know, very different from her her role as Monica. Yeah, on on Silicon Valley, and um, who else is in the cast of, of this one? I don't remember. You got Ryan Merriman as the main mm. second guy. You got right. Ali Larder's back as as a. Oh, she was in two. Yeah, yeah. As uh, I was thinking, Clear yeah. Rivers. Yeah, that's the yeah. another disappointing thing. So they bring her back, but she's just like such a non presence yeah. in this one. Yeah, she's just you in, in a padded room, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know she she gets out, and then it's like because you know she's there voluntarily. That's like the detail that they bring up. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, she just feels like so useless compared to in in the first one, you know, which I I also really enjoyed the yeah. first one. You know, that's like an HBO classic for me. Um. Yeah, so it's just a shame. Like, they really underuse her. And then, you know, so even her death is kind of, you know, unaff- you know, I wasn't really affected by it. Yeah. Uh, I feel but like three... three has some good deaths, though, right? Like, it, does oh, yeah. three have the uh, the drive-through? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that yeah. one's great. I also love the 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 football player, the, the weightlifting. Oh, He's yeah. Like, I'm, I'm never going to die. <laughs> yeah. And he just crushes yeah. it. Incredible stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's so many. I mean, that drive-through scene was so stupid. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, why don't you just get off the driveway? Like, you know, just drive off the road. You know. Um, totally. But yeah, like, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. It. I mean, also, at, we get to this point now in, in three where, you know, whatever this malevolent force is, it's just getting absurd. Like, it's just. <laughs> Yeah, all the the different the ways, like yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy in the the hospital bed where the the gas is released, and it's like once they open the door, like it explodes. Like, yeah, it just it's becoming like a Rube Goldberg yeah. machine kind of. Well, <laughs> yeah, like die. that's the whole thing. It's like it's very Rube Goldberg for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it cranks it up in three for sure. Is is three the one? With the nail gun death, uh, was, was there a nail remember. gun death? Okay, I don't remember. That might be in a oh, different no. one. Um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, because uh, doesn't one of them like work in a hardware store? Yeah, I think it's like that goth couple. The goth couple, and, like, yeah, yeah, and they're so cynical about it. Like they're like, no, nah, you know, they don't believe that that's actually what's happening, and they're trying to convince. Them. <laughs> okay, then, cool. Yeah, the nail gun goes off. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. that's three. Okay. Good. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Three just has like the most memorable. Three's got death, some good so, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, not not as surprising though as one. Like one really had like some surprising deaths where you're like Yeah, and and more yeah. than anything, it's got good it's like the acting, you kind of believe how panicked mm. and freaked out everyone is, and you like the characters enough. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, like I mean by the time you get to like I think four is the one famously where the characters totally suck. And I think two they kind of suck. I forget. Mm. But yeah, they yeah. all kind of blend. Right. Yeah. And um yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it, it's trashy, fun. You know, that's really yeah, what all it is. But yeah, three. Uh, you know, I I definitely would watch it again. I I think that's a, a fun movie to like watch with other people and get their reactions <laughs> from it. All right. Um. Yeah. So I guess we're entering a uh, favorites uh, territory, yeah, and you have one. I have one, one favorite. It's a movie that I knew I was going to like <laughs> from the moment I saw I watched the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Um and so yeah, we're, we're finally we're going to talk about Monsters of California. Um Let's go. So uh, uh did did you get around to seeing this? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Thanks. You know, full disclosure, I'm totally biased. I uh I knew I it was going to be very difficult for me to not like this movie. And more than anything this movie has a scene right in the middle of it that I've probably thought about seven times a day, every wow. single day since I saw the movie. And it's one of my favorite movie, our favorite moments of the year. I don't know uh, how I'm, I'm going to create a, an award for it, but it's going to be in our award show at some point. So, okay. um, yeah. And so, this is a movie that we could spoil. I think I, I, I can't imagine a lot of people are going to see it. Like what's your, mm-hmm. like what, what's your take on monsters of California? Like, can we talk, can we discuss this? Yes. Let's, let's discuss it. Okay. I mean, I, I also feel like, um, yeah. there hasn't been much discussion about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. maybe this, this might lead other people to like, see, right. Oh, maybe it's worth watching. Right. And so, so is this a good movie? No, <laughs> you know, that's like <laughs> right off the top. But yeah. do I love it? I freaking love it. Um, so it's littered with Tom DeLong humor. So if mm. you're immature, if you like <laughs> guys talking about their their dicks and uh, mm. punching each other and like being dumb, grabbing each other's asses, grabbing each other, <laughs> yeah, just, just doing that whole thing. There's gonna be enough moments. Like there, there was three or four parts where I just laughed out loud. And I, yeah. I, I was a little shocked that I was like, oh, my God, I'm laughing at this. Yeah. Um, now, I will say the rest of the movie, especially the family drama stuff, is very amateur and very rough. Oh, yeah, that's very rough. Notes. Like, why even include that? <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, I'm yeah. totally unnecessary. The whole, yeah. like, uh, oh, man, we're moving because uh, uh, mom's, like, fiance uh, wants us to move. Yeah, it's... <laughs> So I watched this with my wife and she was, Mm -hmm. she did not like the movie. She was stunned actually at the end. (laughs) She was like, nothing was paid off. Every little (laughs) moment that they brought in, you just knew they weren't going to come back to any of that information later, which, Mm -hmm. which they didn't. And, um, (laughs) and her, her take on the family drama was that without adding the family stuff, the movie was going to be just like 45 minutes and they wanted right. it, they wanted it to get <laughs> longer 
Yeah, I mean, it's almost two hours, right? Like, it, it's, it's just under two hours. Tom yeah. DeLonge got it to two hours, which I was a little surprised by. Because, mm. um, yeah, definitely the alien adventure stuff is the strongest part of the movie. Right. Um, and it's kind of, you know, obviously this is from this is Tom DeLonge's feature debut, I believe. Yep. And it's from his, his company to the stars, which is trying to put out all this content and their intention, which I think they wholeheartedly believe in. Like, I don't think they're playing a trick or trying to do a psyop thing. I think they actually mm-hmm. believe it is they're trying to slowly disclose information to the public. Gotcha. So it's like, but they're doing it through like entertainment through narrative. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And so I, and so I don't know what the budget is on, on these things. You know, you can, t- you can definitely tell at parts that the budget is low like at the end where they're driving around the the area 51 air force base and they're just bowling into like empty boxes, you know, like you you can kind of tell, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This thing's got a budget. So it's the movies in this weird zone of, of, okay. Am I watching an independent, you know, kind of homemade, you know, I'm going to root for this guy making his own thing movie, or am I rooting for a big, a bigger budget or, or sorry, or should I be judging it on? No, this is more of like a of like a low budget, but they're trying to make a good movie. Movie, in in which case, if I'm judge, judging it on that, it falls flat in a lot of areas. Right. Um, but at the same time, so the scene that I love, I'm sure you can guess it, is the Bigfoot scene. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, when 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 Toe. The, the the wacky stoner sticks his head out of the tent to to, to check <laughs> if Bigfoot's around. I oh, wow. I I screen recorded that. I'm tempted to post <laughs> it on X. I don't see it on X yet, so I no. want to ask. Like, do you think we should do that? Do you think I should post that critical? Yeah, let's scene? see what happens. Okay, I mean, cool. If it if it gets us a ban or whatever, yeah. why not? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Cause like yeah, I, that moment absolutely got me. I was laughing so hard. I was shocked that that's where that scene was leading. Um, and then yeah, Bigfoot just kind of r- runs off. It's just very Tom DeLonge. <laughs> it's very Blink. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm I, actually no. I am surprised that that that's your that's the scene because I I when you had posted on mm. Twitter. Yeah, that there was that scene. I was thinking it was the climactic like realization. Oh, the UFO Carl scene. Sagan, yeah, kind of like all the cliches. That he oh spouts. God, yeah. At the end, oh, like man, that, but, yeah. That to me, that was the roughest part. Was yeah, it, it was um, it's the opposite of uh, under the skin, mm. and it's similar to. There was another. Oh, yeah, maybe Doctor Sleep was was the one that you mentioned that was mm. very wordy. Yeah. Oh no. Also, maybe Thirty One. Yeah. Was um this movie is peak talking too much. Mm-hmm. Like everything is being yep. said. The main character Dallas something Dallas Edwards I forget he is he is <laughs> monologuing um yeah. the whole time. And then you get to, and then, but he's also looking for answers. And so, you yeah. know, he gets to Richard Kind's, uh, you know, um, his character, the doctor, and then he monologues. <laughs> now, Kind ha- has more chops. And so it's like, I, I did kind of find what whatever he was saying, I believed it more. 
You know? Yeah, yeah. He 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 brings a certain gravity. Yeah. To it, you know that I think uh, that I mean yeah he's I'm just gonna say it like Jack Sampson who plays Dallas is just awful like he was mm-hmm. really miscast as the lead guy he he can't carry it. He can't like, carry. Actually, yeah, he's a good-looking yeah, guy, but yeah, he, he yeah. Can't carry like it. I, I really wish that because he was doing more subtle things. I feel, um, and probably more good-looking is uh, uh, his his friend who um, Jared Scott who plays Riley. Yeah, like I thought, man, I was saying like they should have just switched it around. He should have played the lead, and you know, yeah. um, Jared Scott is um, Philam. Oh, cool. You know, nice. yeah. So, yeah, and I. I I don't really know the story of like how um they were cast, but it um uh it it feels like the um Tom DeLonge might have like cast them from like just seeing them around. Yeah, <laughs> it Diego. sounded like it sounded like Jack Samson was working at um a coffee shop that might be oh. owned by one of the guys at Angels and Airwaves. Oh, so- gotcha. something like that. You know, mm, like the, yeah. like that might not be exactly right, which is then funny to see him in a, a, a coffee, coffee shop. shop. <laughs> that 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 probably was the coffee shop, James Coffee, yeah, I, yeah. I think is what it's called. Yeah, and yeah, that that was a little funny scene, but yeah, again, yeah. yeah, it's his shortcomings of his performance. Like that should have been really charming. What? The whole like, I'm gonna quit my career. It was for a meet cute, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I thought actually the the girl um, Kelly, the the actress played her Gabrielle Hall. She was pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, like that moment. I, I mean, th- this this is one of the things that I really like about the movie is that he knows Encinitas. Like, y- yeah. he gets the character of that place. Yeah. You know, um, just even with the establishing shots at the beginning, and then yeah, when he he um when Dallas takes uh, Kelly to that spot, you know, along the beach, you know, it's like the one of those moments where it's like, yeah, you know, this area. Mm-hmm. very well totally um and yeah i i think that that's the other thing too yeah i like that you have this this inner conflict of like you know it's a bad movie but then you like it at the same yeah. time <laughs> yeah and it's like yeah I, I i was going through that too when i was watching it because i was like yeah i'm i i this is terrible but like i'm really charmed by it yeah <laughs> yeah that that was really like what i got from it and it's very much like old blink 182 songs you know, where it's <laughs> okay. like, you know, not the stuff that's like polished and cleaned mm-hmm. up. It's like, you know, the stuff that's rough around the edges, but charming. Right. Like that's what, that's what this movie has. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm willing to go with that. And, um, like the, the thing with it is that, uh, there's something that you can remedy with that. Like, uh, and this is just what I've learned from like really good directorial debuts. If your shortcoming is writing, mm-hmm don't write it yourself. <laughs> right. Just, like hire a screenwriter, like, you know, get somebody who has more experience than you yeah. um, to write the script. Cause that's really what it needed. Like it needed more editing, like maybe a few more drafts. Yeah, exactly. Um, it needed, it uh, needed more drafts. It needed to be shortened. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, don't be so on the nose yeah. with your, you know, your themes. <laughs> like well, yeah. don't, don't have actors announce your themes, you know, the characters say them. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. And then like, it's the opposite of in the mouth of madness where um, the main character is a skeptic kind of entering mm. the world in this right. movie. The main character is a believer and nothing really changes. Mm. You know, right. he's a believer at the end and the climax is um, it's vague. It's, 
they show you a lot, but it's also kind of a nothing. It's yeah. kind of a nothing ending. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and, and like one of the weirdest like arcs of a character to me is Casper uh, Van Dien's character. It's yeah. like, how come everything's cool now? It's yeah, like, he's like, oh. okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like, where yeah, well, did this come so, from? Th- yeah, I mean, this movie's insane in terms of like, nothing gets paid off. Like these characters, <laughs> they interact with a ghost, they interact mm-hmm. with Bigfoot, and then aliens, and like none of it gets tied together well. Like at one point, yeah. Richard Kind alludes to that Bigfoot is UAP technology, mm. um, yeah. which is like mind-boggling to me. Though it's like I'm still right. trying to think about like so, and, which is funny because then on Twitter that, that there was a Bigfoot sighting that's been debunked already. Right, recently that, the in Colorado, right? <laughs> yeah, the the Colorado one. So it's like, what? Yeah. Is like how is it UAP technology? I don't know, man. Oh, you know, there's there's a funny like uh, connection to prey as well with um with Monsters of California because the the guy who plays Bigfoot, Dane Deligero, I think is his last oh. name. He's he's the predator in Prey. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. a cool freaking resume this guy's got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So, uh, yeah, and then just like weird uh, other casting trivia, you know, um, the the actress who plays a sister, Meg, yeah. um, Camille Caustic, she's um, uh, Gronk's uh, girlfriend. Oh yeah, cool. <laughs> Wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah she's I think been, she, like on. She's like yeah. the most famous, like currently. I think she's like a big like IG model or something. Yeah, yeah, and then she's like, yeah, she's been on the cover of Sports Illustrated swimsuit okay. uh, edition and. Um, yeah, she's also been on like I guess that's how she met Gronk was like on like um mm-hmm. whatever the 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 football Monday night football or sure. <laughs> show was that she was on. So um yeah, like but she's barely used in the movie. And it's funny too like I mean, you know, with the casting like uh yeah, the mom uh like Dallas's mom is kind of a smoke show. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I feel like that actress is like She's. I feel like she's had a long career of like mm. lifetime films or something. Yeah, like, it, yeah. She was on Days of Our Lives. Okay, there you yeah. go. Yeah, she, she definitely looks like a soap star. Yeah, yeah, she has a, yeah. And then yeah, I mean, there's that throwaway line that Toe says, or it's like, <laughs> oh, the things that I would do to that body. Yeah. And she's like, what? What would you do to this body? And it's like she's she's almost like curious. It's like, wow. Yeah, well, and he's like, um, I'd hold you. I'd love you. <laughs> Yeah, that was a, a good laugh. I did like um, Toe. I thought his performance yeah. as that character was was yeah. was it was enough to get you through mm-hmm. the kind of ineptness at times and the writing yeah. at times. Yeah. What if he was the main character of the movie? What if Toe. the movie was through his perspective? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I would have <laughs> loved that. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been great. Yeah. Um, you, you totally don't need Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. Just get out. Get rid of all the dramatic stuff. You know, like that's not necessary. The okay. missing dad. All right. You know? And then the other kind of plot holes. So there was this whole tunnel network under Richard Kind's house. Oh yeah. Right. That he like had no problem blowing up. Yeah. But then like they immediately got captured on the other side of the tunnel. Yeah. Exactly. It's like they knew. And so then, uh, yeah. And I mean that's that's one of the tropes in movies that I always hate when it's like uh there's been a character who has successfully like been living under the radar or like off the grid and then all of a sudden because you know these characters 
go to his, you know, his house or his hideout, it it's suddenly discovered. Right. You know, and that ruins everything. And it's like, how were you so careful before that, you know, you were able to go undetected, but then yeah. all of a sudden these, like, plucky kids show up and ruin exactly. everything. And you know, not, not like, only that, but he had the skills to create a device that can detect when UFOs are going to land. Right. And he can't detect... <laughs> Who's like approaching? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why isn't there like a perimeter that <laughs> yeah. like somebody's approaching, and then he has some sort of like iron dome, like <laughs> defense? Yeah, I will, um, we yeah. will never know. And the, right. you know, and the fact that they even got to interact with that ghost in the first ten minutes, like that already alone <laughs> would be enough to kind of satisfy your paranormal. Right. But the fact that they just keep going and like none of that gets explained. Yeah. You know, like I, I definitely thought the you know the peak of the movie was was in that house when Richard Kind is explaining. I guess that like every religion ultimately ties into these quote unquote others, which is at at the big at the center of this like insane, you know, you know, wall of news clippings, which. The other, yeah, like that should that should have been in the tunnels. Like you don't mm. put that in the living room, you know. Like that, like like right. you keep the house <laughs> kind of looking normal. But um, yeah, so I kind of thought that that was interesting. But then yeah, ultimately, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of Richard Kind saying it's right in front of you. It's been right in front of you this whole time, <laughs> but they never say yeah. what it is, and it's like just fucking right. say it already, dude. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah, ultimately, I just feel like this is what Tom DeLonge thinks a movie is. Yeah, rather than <laughs> yeah, like an actual <laughs> understanding of the medium. You know, that's really what yeah. I get. You know, like his his musical. Um, like I, I wouldn't even go as far as genius, but his you know his musical understanding isn't the same as his his movie understanding. Right. Yeah. Know? Well. Um. Yeah. Well, I still, yeah, I I give it three stars and I love it. Okay, you love it. Yeah, it's one of those things in Letterboxd where you give it three stars, but you also heart it, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Like that, that confusing rating. Totally. Where, yeah, and like, I, I, I mean, I just talking about the production company too. I love that the first credited production company is Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm. It's like, how did they get involved in this, you know, yeah. a very Christian um you oh, know uh, organization yeah you know it's like those books those chicken soup for the soul books because it, it's clearly that that font so i was like uh -huh. this isn't like a spoof of this right this is no. the actual uh group yeah um yeah so monsters of california monsters three stars california. but i it. loved it we did it <laughs> pose that quote on <laughs> yeah <laughs> on the poster yeah <laughs> um, yeah and definitely yeah Let's see what um, what reactions that that scene gets. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Um, so I'm not quite at favorites and like cool. my spooky. Yeah. I, I forgot that Let's I have like this little up. bundle, but it some of them are are stuff we've already mentioned. So like these are like I guess four stars. They're not quite Carlos classic. So we mentioned um, uh, uh, Carlos Cannon. We mentioned um in in the mouth of madness and um. Exorcist Three Legion, so I I consider these like top tier, top top, but not top. yeah yeah. yeah. Um, a, a couple more I want to mention is um of unknown origin, which is also a pleasant surprise. Um, I'm a big fan of uh of Peter Weller, mm -hmm. and like I just want to watch every movie that Peter Weller is in because like him alone is just makes for a great movie, and this is, goes beyond RoboCop. You know, like I loved him in Naked Lunch. 
but this is another Peter Weller. Like I think you know, if we're we're putting like his his top five together, like I think mm. this should be up there in the top five Peter Weller movies. Cool, because it it's such a great premise. <laughs> it's like, so he's this guy who lives in a a a beautiful like um, brownstone like uh, house in in New York City, and I think he he works for a marketing agency. And you think that that's what the movie's going to be about. It's like, you know, when I first started, I was like, why is this, like, considered to be a horror movie? And then it eventually ends up being, like, this descent into madness. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's driving Peter Weller crazy is a rat in his house. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, like, a a monstrous rat. Like, and uh, I love that we never really see the rat, like, completely. Like, it's just hinted at, like, that it has massive teeth. You see its its mm-hmm. mouth, but we never see like. It, I mean, it's implied that it's a large rat. Like it's probably like the size of a dog. Sure, <laughs> that's how how massive this rat is. Um, and uh, yeah, it just like drives him crazy. It starts with like just chewing the wires, and <laughs> you know, it starts destroying the house. And like Peter <laughs> Weller basically starts destroying his house, just trying to get rid of this rat and it happened it takes place over the course of a weekend because he has a family and i guess his wife and the kids like go on a trip so it's just Sweet. him alone in the house and then like he starts like you know creating like his own weapons and like <laughs> building an armor it was so much fun cool like i was not expecting to enjoy it as much as i did nice i mean it's not really scary but it was it was a fun movie and yeah. it's, it's directed by uh the same director of uh cobra George P. Cosmatos, who also did the Tombstone. I mean, what a filmography this guy had, nice <laughs> you know. Um, all right, another movie I um, uh, I I really enjoyed, but I didn't at first. Like, I had tried watching this maybe a year ago, and it's a movie that like kind of now has a a cult following. Um, it's called The Empty Man. Um, so it, it's a weird movie because it uh, it came out during the pandemic, so it went direct to streaming. Uh, I didn't get a theatrical release. It was the last one of the last movies that 20th Century Fox made before they merged with Disney. Um, so that also kind of left it, you know, mm-hmm. in in a weird in between space. It's never been released on physical media, and then it's not not available on streaming right now. It used to be on HBO Max. Um, uh, so yeah, it's kind of hard to to go see it, and it's like uh, it's over two hours long, which is also another kind of issue why it's so daunting but yeah it's a really effective like chilling movie not completely scary but yeah it's just this idea of like the empty man which is it's more like a a folk belief than Mm -hmm. uh yeah like a concept than anything like physical so like but it, it leads people to do like crazy shit and there's definitely some moments where you're like oh shit like it you know uh, particularly when um the characters are like whispering like that that was just really unnerving cool and it's really more of a, a detective story and an investigation but like there's a huge le- revelation at the end which was really well done i feel and yeah i think it's deserving of it it's a very flawed movie but like it's deserving of its cult um audiences i know like one of its big champions is um adam Naiman, mm-hmm. who's a canadian critic that i really like uh, he's also a good Twitter follower. We follow him with the movie food nice. <laughs> uh, pod. Uh, 
but yeah, yeah, he he's one of the people who really champions this movie, and yeah, it's it's worth seeking out if it ever shows up on like um, streaming again. Definitely check it out. Um, yeah, and then the last like not quite Carlos Cannon, but really I, I enjoyed the shit out of it. This was actually my finale. This was the last movie I watched before we, um, yeah, we prepared for this episode. So I watched it last night. It's um, Life Force by uh, Toby Hooper. Ooh. Um, you know, same director as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, yeah, this was one of those things where I was like, should I rewatch Texas Chainsaw Massacre or let me watch a Toby Hooper movie that I haven't seen? You know, and yeah, there's this thing where people who watch like scary movies in in film Twitter, uh, they call it Hooptober. You know, <laughs> so they're just watching a bunch of like uh, Amanda participates in this. Mm-hmm. So I love that hashtag of Ho- Hooptober, and you know, uh-huh. it's named after Toby Hooper. Uh, this director because yeah man i mean this is another movie that i don't necessarily feel is horror but it's just really well done it feels like um uh i mean it's more sci-fi than anything but like uh it it felt original like i didn't know where it was gonna go like that was one of the key things about it like the the moment the movie starts i'm like what the hell is this it's just like uh i mean the the sci-fi vibe is definitely very 80s it's it's from our our banner year of mm-hmm. 1985 um and i i almost feel like it it forms like an unofficial trilogy and the connection between the three is um the screenwriter dan o'bannon so he wrote dark star which is a uh, uh john carpenter's first movie he wrote alien um, you know the Ridley Scott mm-hmm. the original Alien and then he wrote this and they're all like you know taking place in space initially mm-hmm. Um, but the the premise of this is basically like this this crew that's like investigating Haley's comment discover like these three naked bodies and they're like in a cri- they're like in crystal crypts mm-hmm. Um, and then the two of them are men but the main one is a woman uh, played by Matilda May, and she is just like such a striking beauty. And I think so much of the power of this film is because of her. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she was like this French ballet dancer, and this was her first like English language role. And she's naked for most of the movie, which also is yeah incredible. Sure. And yeah, it's just like that was such a big like selling point of the movie, not just to audiences, but I mean to to the characters because you're supposed to be like overcome with attraction to her Mm -hmm. you know like it's it's overwhelming attraction it's it's such a key like um plot point in the movie um and just how you know it's based on a book about like space vampires but i love that they don't really um you know play that up in Mm -hmm. in the, the actual movie so she's able to basically possess you and you know the whole life force of the title is like she sucks the life out of you. Sure. Yeah, and she's able to do that because of you know her overpowering beauty, and it's one of those ones where you, you just can't deny it. Like she's just that beautiful. Like I was trying to think of actors that or actresses that look like her, um, that she reminds me of because yeah, she just has this look and sure. I would say that she kind of looks like um, the actress who plays Big Sue's on Peep Show, which I mentioned in a previous episode. But there, there's somebody else. Like, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. It's not quite Jennifer Connelly. Like, she doesn't have, like, mm-hmm. Jennifer Connelly's eyes. But, yeah, she's just got... She's just, like, this very striking brunette. Um, 
so yeah, Life Force, yeah, another great Toby Hooper movie. Like, yeah, he's another director I think I want to dive deeper into his movies and watch more because yeah, everything I've seen I've enjoyed. So cool. Um, yeah, Life Force is great. All right, awesome. so here we go. Um, Carlos Cannon. He finally got to it. Carlos Cannon. All right. Spooky, spooky edition. So I only have two, and one is a short film. Uh, and I wasn't expecting it to be spooky, but it is. Uh, it's called, um, uh, in French, L'Etoile uh, des Mers, or Star, The Starfish. And uh, it's by Man Ray, a uh, famous um, artist mm-hmm. and photo- conceptual photographer, surrealist. Oh, man, Steve, I was blown away by this. It's like a 14-minute short film. Man Ray only made, like, I think four short films. He wasn't really a filmmaker. He kind of just used the medium as, you know, another way of expressing mm-hmm. his art. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I definitely need to see the other shorts now because um, this was just, oh, man, this it, it felt like a nightmare. Like, it is, it's silent film, and um, it makes use of, uh, like, uh, blurred lenses and stuff like you sometimes you can't quite um, make out what's going on uh, I think also like the version I watched like um, didn't have subtitles and the 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 intertitles were were in French mm-hmm. so I was using whatever little French I knew to get what I needed uh-huh. from it but like it didn't really need it like I, I understood what the film was about even without the title cards. Okay. Oh, cool. Like, it was just like, it communicates to you what it is, you know, through the visuals. And, you know, that's, I think, the best praise I could give to the movie. That it, And, you know, just in contrast to a movie you mentioned earlier with No One Can Save You, like, that's really it. Like, it, this makes use of the visual medium. Like, it, it's creating its own language, you know. There's not, no movie that looks like this. You know, and considering that it's from the 1920s is just incredible, you know, like uh, almost 100 years ago. Um, Dang. So, yeah. 1928, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this was also like just on the cusp because, you know, uh, sound was coming in because 1927 was Jazz Singer. And that was really like, you know, changed cinema forever. Um, But yeah, Man Ray, man. I mean, I've always been a fan of his photographs. So, like, yeah, to see that he, he's just as innovative um, with his movies. Like, yeah, I can't wait to see. He's only got, I only have three more to go. And one of them, I think, is only two minutes long. So, Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so I can't wait to watch those. And then uh, for my grand finale of Spooky um, Carlos Cannon, I mean, this is incredible. It's another sequel that I actually think is better than the first movie. It's uh, Tetsuo 2. Body Hammer okay. uh, by Shinya Sukamoto. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, Sukamoto, like, yeah, he's another filmmaker that I don't acknowledge enough as a, an influence, but he is. Like, there's just something about his, his hyperkinetic, um, like, filmmaking that just is so exciting to me mm-hmm. and, like, you know, makes me want to make a movie as well. And I, I felt the same way, too. Actually, I think that was my letterbox review for um The Starfish. Was uh, I was like, yeah, I want to make a movie <laughs> like, yeah, after totally. watching this. But the the thing about this uh, that took me by surprise. So you don't need to see the first Tetsuo to to watch this because it's one of those like kind of spiritual sequels. Like um, 
Tomorrow Taguchi plays the main character in both movies, mm-hmm. and Shinya Sukamoto is kind of like the antagonist in both. Mm-hmm. But there's no real continuity okay, other than cool. that. Yeah, it's like it, it's almost like a remake actually of the first one, but um, in color and just the thing that really got me with this, and I I don't think Sh- Sukamoto has done it like this ever again. Is just he's melding all these experimental like moments within a narrative and it, the movie's only like 80 minutes as well like it's well under 90 minutes i want to say like maybe it's 87 minutes it's very short cool but he's doing all these experimental touches but it's also like i mean narrative is not like sukamoto's strong suit actually mm-hmm. all he he needs like narrative to just basically set up all these experimental things but like the final act of this movie with all the experimental stuff that's going on in it is just visually like stunning i i think i retweeted uh on the movie food pod um mm-hmm. twitter uh like uh i think chris funderberg ca funderberg like um did some some gifs from the from the movie and you can just see like visually how how stunning it is you know um so yeah uh it's just uh yeah. i want to watch yeah. this yeah yeah um yeah is it easy to find um, I don't know. Actually, okay. I haven't really. I because I've I've had a copy for a while. Okay, cool. Uh, I've just been sitting right. on it, and I'm like, man, I should have I've I should have seen this sooner. Um, cool. I'll dig around. Yeah, cool. yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's on. Um, oh yeah, it's on AMC Plus. That's oh, okay, streaming. Got right. it. What a weird streaming service to put it on. But yeah, it's like it's just incredible that this is a movie that. Um, you know, it got like a fairly wide release, but it's just so experimental. It's actually only eighty-three minutes, wow. <laughs> so it's even shorter. Yeah, an hour and twenty-three. Uh, but yeah, it's incredible. And you know, like Shinya Sukamoto as well. Not only does he act in his films, he's also like the cameraman. Like he's he's the director of photography mm-hmm. of the movies. Um, uh, like he's the editor. He's also like the composer of the music. Like he does everything. Like it's just cool. He's, he's a one man army. Like just incredible That's stuff. Awesome. And yeah, I, I think he has a new movie this year too, which uh, people have been saying is is pretty good. So yeah, Tetsuo Two Body Hammer is like Ooh. it. You know, I would recommend this as a Halloween viewing cool, um yeah. you can't go wrong with this like this is a good uh halloween <laughs> yeah movie so awesome. yeah wow okay that was it that was our <laughs> our you know massive funny? i just yeah. thought of another one that i oh, saw okay all and, right yeah and, and this is probably probably a poor way to end it but let's just <laughs> let's just get it in just so that all i'm right. going into the next episode with a clean slate the sure. first horror movie in this run that i did see was I finished Scary of 61st. Oh, the Dasha right. movie. <laughs> the Dasha Necrosova or Necrosova yeah. film. And I would I just want to just bring it in just because like similar to Monsters of California, you can tell it's kind of like independent made, it's guerrilla mm. made. It's very it's 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 much more independent made than um than monsters actually i think monsters yeah. they, had, they had a little more money so you, you're kind of judging it based on indies and based on like you know someone doing it on their own and hey isn't that great as opposed to judging it on its own merits as like a full-on 
right. you know, compare it to like the pantheon of films films. Yeah. And so in, in, in that sense, it's like, wait, it's like, Hey, way to go. You made a movie, but, um, it's not very scary. It, the, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's very, it's pretty boring. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I would just say without having seen it though, I I I probably would hold Dasha to a higher standard than um than Tom DeLonge be- just because she's been in mo- other movies, she's acted in movies, and then um, you know, she's from listening for, to Red Scare, she seems like she's a very knowledgeable cinephile. Yeah, for sure. So it's like you would think that the movie would be better. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, I, w- I was skeptical about it. And also, you know, I can only take so much of the ironic, like, uh, you know, um, don't really give a fuck vibe. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause it's like those people that I knew in New York who, who carried that kind of vibe, I, I was just put off by them. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So because ultimately deep down you do care and it's, and it's just yeah. kind of a character that you're right. Playing. Yeah, exactly. See, I do think it's cool that people are trying to make movies out there, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that they did it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So way to go. Yeah, and it and it has me. So uh, something that's kind of come up through the pod. I'm wondering, like, have you ever been inspired to make a horror film or or like a a scary sequence? Like, do you have something in mind that's like, oh, if I'm if I was gonna make a horror movie, it was gonna it's gonna be like this. Like, has that ever come? into your periphery Um, yeah i mean i've thought of it but it also is kind of financially motivated (laughs) so i don't know if that's really like the purest uh way to approach it because like yeah i i don't really want to go into like that genre as a charlatan because i i think actually that's my main problem with with elevated horror because it's made by by directors who aren't really horror people you know it's like i mean um what's his name uh who made Bo is Afraid in Midsummer? I'm blanking on his name. Ari, Ari. Yeah, Ari Aster. Like, the only reason why he, he started making horror films was because, you know, that was, like, the lucrative thing to do. Yeah, you know? that's not like so that. good, boss. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, so it's like the, these movies are wearing, like, the, you know, the outfit. Uh, or, you know, if we want to really get into horror, like, tropes, like, they're wearing the skin suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of a horror movie you know and like they they have the the music and like even maybe mm. some jump scares but it's just like they there's something about like somebody like uh toby hooper where you really feel like horror lives within him you know and then, right i mean as much as we knock rob zombie too it's the same thing like he really he lives and breathes horror like that's yeah. really you totally. know or i would yeah, so there there are people who are like that, and I think those are the people that we should be giving the horror movies to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, like you know, uh, Jordan Peele has some adroitness to it, but it was like surprising in a way that he was able to do it totally. um, and pull it off. Uh, but he's he's like the outlier. Like I I feel like a lot of directors um, uh, who make horror should be like you know rooted in that genre yeah like that's really something that they're passionate about so that that's my main kind of i guess um uh like obstacle into making a horror film is that yeah i was like yeah well you know these these movies make money so you know i you know if if jason bloom like called me 
and said like yeah i, I can give you 2.5 million dollars to make a movie <laughs> yeah like a, a horror movie and it has to be an hour and a half and you know um you just have to do it from this script yeah i would do it <laughs> yeah but yeah. um i i do have an idea though for i guess specifically like um something that taps into my fear of things you know somebody oh, somebody who, yeah yeah who doesn't get scared by horror movies i think because there's not enough movies that are about um my main fear which is uh the fear of, of falling you mm-hmm. know and uh the fear of heights and you know like last year there was that movie um uh uh called uh fall uh which was like you know enjoyable enough um <laughs> we're, we're ending on a down note with these movies but oh, sure. uh but yeah i didn't really feel like it it played into uh that fear of heights enough you know surprisingly for a movie that is about mm-hmm. cuz i guess you know it's it's a single setting type of thing like it's basically about these two girls who climb this satellite tower and then uh something like the ladder breaks so there's no way for them to go back down so they're stuck up there right and there's a twist in the movie and i joked about the twist and like kind of um uh-huh. got uh maligned so i don't know if i want to say it on sure. the pod <laughs> like cuz i i thought there was an even bigger twist in the movie and i almost wanted to do it as like a jokey letterbox review but like i i might get banned or something sure yeah <laughs> but yeah people who have seen fall there there's there's a twist in the in it that they know and then there's also another kind of meta twist that's like more jokey oh wow um, <laughs> yeah um it's funny because like there was a movie um free solo right yeah the documentary yeah yeah that's like arguably pretty frightening mm-hmm. it's like a very frightening version of the uh, but it's not done as a horror you know i mean it's, it's just right, it's just yeah. tense you know yeah and like that, that was definitely a movie that i i kind of am kicking myself that i missed in the theater because mm-hmm. I had I had an opportunity to, oh, cool. but like my friend good, who yeah. was, yeah, who was inviting me to go watch it at the ArcLight in Hollywood too. I would have seen it there. Uh, so this is a few years ago. They let me know like ten minutes before showtime, and mm. I live like yeah. with good traffic half an hour away from yeah, exactly. from the ArcLight. So it was way too late. I wasn't gonna make it, uh, so I just met her after the movie but yeah she really liked it so um yeah it's too bad that i miss it but yeah i i i really feel like there's there's um there's an opportunity and you know maybe i'm giving other directors ideas of of making um more horror films that are related to fear of heights you know mm-hmm. like i don't think that there's That'd enough be cool. yeah yeah cuz like um also not horror but also like kind of scary and enjoyable are the short films that uh, Harold Lloyd made that are all about heights like that became his shtick mm. actually it was like you know high and dizzy and then even his his feature film Safety Last which is about him kind of doing the human fly thing and climbing mm. the side of the building and you know the famous image is him like hanging off the clock yeah you know um so yeah there's definitely like an inherent thrill for me of, of those type of movies that, that deal with with height and potentially like falling so yeah um yeah so if i if i did make a horror movie that would be what it would be about it wouldn't be about like ghosts or sure um yeah it would be about heights and fear fights and falling this the most frightening thing to me that it's it's best shown in the movie awake with hayden christensen is that anesthesia 
is the anesthesia awareness. Mm. Um, that's always like such a scary idea of being awake during surgery. Oh yeah. Um, so it's like, that's always what's frightened me. I don't know if you can do a, a really good horror movie on that. Um, but yeah, if Blumhouse does come to you with, the money i want to pitch you an idea of doing like a horror movie in like a hardcore like concert oh yeah well yeah have you seen green room steve yeah yeah i have i have seen that but that's more that that's different like i don't know like i'm imagining something like like um like among the moshers there's Mm. something happening and then as people clear out there's a body and they're like what happened oh yeah gotcha yeah yeah yeah. that that would be interesting yeah because this one is more like the band trying the to band escape, trapped. yeah, yeah, <laughs> dealing with yeah. the neo Nazis, yeah, that's great. like a real like slasher deal, yeah, yeah, great uh, performance by Patrick Stewart too. Like, uh, mm-hmm. oh, the, this is the other funny thing. Patrick Stewart is in Life Force, and it's just so funny. Even in 1985, he already looked the way he does now. Uh, <laughs> like totally. he never aged from 85. Like uh, at a certain point, like Patrick Stewart just became, you know, Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's always how he looked. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, uh, kind of out of um, character performance from him too, because he, he gets possessed. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, to see him like kind of ham it up is really funny. Um, yeah, totally. But yeah, yeah. Green room too. Uh, I mean, that's he's an interesting director, uh, Jeremy Saulnier. He also made Blue Ruin. Um, so his movies kind of border on horror, but like I, I heard his the movie he made for Netflix wasn't very good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like he's kind of fallen off since then. Oh, but right. yeah, he is a fascinating guy. I mean, I, he got his start as like a cinematographer too, so he's a very good cameraman. So his movies look great. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't turn down an offer to to make a, a genre sure. film. And I mean, you know, it's funny how like m- directors that we consider now to be, you know, kind of legends or, you know, like they've made all-time classics. Like a lot of them got started with Roger Corman and and making horror movies like, you know, uh Francis Ford Coppola with mm-hmm. um he made Dementia 13. That was his first movie for for uh, Roger Corman. And you know, um, Mon- uh, I was about to call her by her Twitter handle, <laughs> uh, Christina <laughs> Politano. She oh, she mentioned the uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know the um, the Francis Ford Coppola adaptation. That's on my list. That's definitely going to be something I'm going to be watching as we we head mm-hmm. towards um, Halloween. Totally. You know, because I mean, yeah. you know, the journey doesn't end here, Steve. I mean, I'm yeah, still going to continue watching spooky movies, but then I'm I'm definitely going to be going more on the rewatch now in the second half of the month. Uh, but there's some that I, I haven't sure. seen yet. Like I, I definitely am. People have been talking about this other pandemic release movie um, with Kristen Stewart called Underwater. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Yeah. 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 So like, uh, I think enough people have been talking good things about it that I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll check it out. And now it's back on Hulu because it, it was gone for a while. Mm-hmm. Um. So now it's back, and uh, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. But yeah, definitely rewatching Under the Skin, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Beetlejuice, which I haven't seen in a long time, and actually another Tim Burton movie I want to revisit is Sleepy Hollow. Um, oh right, yeah, yeah. And uh, one of my favorite 
non-horror scary movies uh just because you know of the villain uh is uh no country for old men yeah you know? sure <laughs> and anton sugar so that's definitely going to be a rewatch and then yeah i mentioned cool. donnie darko uh maybe zodiac too i'll, I'll give that a rewatch oh yeah i should give zodiac a shot yeah okay cool it's weird though because it's it it's not quite a spooky season movie i mean the movie starts on right. july 4th uh, but True. yeah, like, yeah, it, I haven't watched it since it came out. Like it's been that long. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I have the director's cut Blu-ray. So I wonder if the, I'll notice the differences from what I yeah. saw in the theater. So yeah, cool. good stuff. Good man. So of all the movies we saw, what, what was the scariest scene or like, what was the scene that stood out the most to you so far? Good question. I mean, I would have to say it's the, it's the false awakening in, in the, in in the mouth of madness that was the one that i was like holy fuck yeah like it's just you know more than yeah. exorcist 3 legion uh yeah. man yeah that 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 stayed with me and then the yeah the the old uh bicycle the, the bicycle that's funny that's funny yeah. my yeah the one that sticks out to me too is also is it's that last jump scare at the end of in the mouth of the madness when he's leaving the Thing. so the, that movie yeah car carpenter man yeah, master really of horror. master yeah he really is yeah cool. uh, yeah I, I was wrong about a lot of things you know i was ready to write him off but that movie just pulled me back in and yeah yeah i can't wait to watch uh some of the other stuff uh and yeah i'm curious how this uh his new show is like i mean mm-hmm. i don't have peacock so i won't be able to watch it but uh you know maybe somewhere down the line Love it. Yeah. All right. All so right. Another one in the books. Yeah. <laughs> this is an epic one. My gosh. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and these are some of our favorites. Well, you can follow us. Follow us on Twitter at Movie Food Pod. I'll post this famous Bigfoot clip <laughs> do it. shortly. So by the time the episode out, it's already up. So, yeah. Nice. So, so just go back in the TL. Check it out. Give it a like. Give it a retweet. Come on. Yeah. Um, follow Carlo. He's, he's on X at Carlo Kino with two K's. Follow me at Steve Positron. We have a Patreon to help us keep the lights on. Patreon.com slash movie food. Carlo's letterbox. Of course, follow all of his reviews. Find out what he's watching at Carlo Kino. And um, yeah, check out my, I'll hopefully have a, a new mosh pit breakdown shortly up at, uh, at pit underscore hits pit hits on YouTube and Carlo. That is it. All righty. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah, another one in the books. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.